Hello, everyone. Thanks for watching, listening, or however you're consuming this. Um, exciting episode today. Uh, I had an opportunity to sit down and talk with um, a young NFL agent who has also transitioned into a career of writing. He's the author of the book called Caponomics, which is available on Amazon. It's kind of a football version of Moneyball. Um, he's also a purple belt at 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu in Austin, Texas. And uh, he's a very active on social media in seeking the truth, kind of like all the other 10th Planet guys over there, if you're familiar. So um, it's kind of a long podcast, but we covered a lot of stuff. We talked about everything from the importance of jujitsu and how it's impacted his life in a lot of positive ways. We talked about his journey of becoming an NFL agent and the work that he's done as an author in that space. Um, we talked a little football and we definitely got down and dirty into some conspiracy stuff. If you're into the Epstein conversations, there's plenty of that, maybe even a little Corona mixed in for you. So um, I hope you guys enjoy it and uh, give it up for Zach Moore. But before we get started, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor for the podcast, Action. I've said it a lot, and I'm going to continue to say it even more. If you haven't tried Action, you're missing out. And you need to go to drinkaction.com today to try one of the three specialty blends of coffee. And that's Action with a K, drinkaction.com. You can try Ambitious, which is the signature medium roast. It's got a real caramely velvet taste. Or if you like a little more punch, try the Black and Bold. Um, that's what sponsored athlete Rumble Johnson prefers uh, and, you know, a lot of others. So I can't recommend it enough. You need to go and you need to use code word curious and that'll get you 10% off and free shipping right now. So uh, drinkaction.com, code word curious, enjoy your coffee and stay tuned for a lot of new updates. But you're, you're, you're still in shape. You're, you know, you're obviously in shape, right? So like you understand the main point of working out and of jujitsu. And one thing I learned through my path to becoming an athlete again mm -hmm. was that, um, was that like that win, that victory, that knowing that you did something. I mean, cause every day when you write, you're not, you, some days you're going to be like, man, I, I can't think of anything. I can't, I, I can't do anything. I can't focus on anything. But jujitsu, as long as you showed up and as long as you rolled, even if you got your ass kicked, even if it wasn't the, even if you go to the gym and it wasn't the best workout you've ever had, um, the fact that you showed up is this victory that makes the day a success in some form. Because there is, there's this thing about jujitsu where um, there's a deep learning process and a deep, uh, op, like a deep, just a deep, the whole process, the whole game is about getting better at jujitsu but you're getting better at all of the other things as well. You're dealing with adversity, you're overcoming that adversity and you're, and you're just taking those steps forward and, and um, you know, just, you know, becoming, eventually you're a purple belt, eventually you're a brown belt, eventually you're a black belt. And suddenly you're the person that you used to look up to when you were a white belt and all those things that you didn't know you'd learn, but you could see in the black belt and you, that he understands just from a personal perspective, how they handle themselves. Um, you eventually get there and that, that's, that's the journey. And, you know, that, that's why we show up to the mats, you know, and um, you know, like you said about the culture, there's a lot of different views. And, and one of the thing, main things about a 10th planet school is just like, 
are you looking into it? Like, are you, you know, are you curious? Are you, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, that's, and that's what's so fascinating to me about our family um, is that you see it in every gym that, cause we're kind of a hub now being in 10th planet Austin, the beautiful gym we've got yep. and being Austin, Austin's a city. A lot of people want to come to. So, um, you know, they, you can see the same ethos throughout the, throughout the system. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. We have a good gym here. Um, it's stout. It's a uh, Renzo Gracie. Um, yeah. I actually was um, scheduled with a podcast with Warren earlier today and we had to reschedule for later in the week, but um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things I definitely want to get back to. I fought amateur MMA uh, nice, probably dude. seven, seven years ago and I didn't take any specific route getting really involved with anything other than striking. And I, I really wish now later on in life that I would have stuck with it, but Dude, you got yourself in a cage though. I mean, you got, you got quite a, you know, you, you got, you got a lot of courage there because like, unlike football, it's only you, it's only you, which is cool too, is that like, you know, um, you only have to rely on yourself, but you know, I, I returned punts in college, so yeah. I was all alone, but this is even more all alone. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, it's, it's a similar, you know, you're dealing with, uh, a lot of violence, but you're all alone. And, uh, to go out there and have an amateur career, in any sort of striking because that's a little bit different than jujitsu. You know, it's yeah. a little, it's, a, it's another step forward in terms of uh, the kind of toughness that you have to have to have uh, to, to do it. So, I mean, yeah. and jujitsu is something that you can continue to do and continue to do as you get older. Yeah. You guys, and you have some killers at your gym on a and, daily you basis. Know. You get to roll with some serious, serious yeah. guys and girls. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get to get my ass kicked uh, quite frequently. It's, it's great because I've been there, like we were saying about Lauren, um, Lauren and I have been there uh, for three and a half, four years, right? And um, when we started off, it was all white belts. And so to see that the school, and right, it's, it's connected. It was connected to the Onnit Academy. Now we're across the street. So mm -hmm. there was this great symbiotic relationship between us and the gym. And then, you know, we grew and we continued to uh, expand. And then Curtis, our, our head instructor, now owns a spot across the gym, across the street. And we've watched that, we've watched the culture Curtis helped create with us. And now he moved to Alaska with his family to take care of his, his family as well, his family in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And it feels cool to see the culture we've created and that now we're attracting people from, uh, Cal from San Diego. And we've got Gabe Tuttle now. We have Kyle Bame. Um, I mean, we've got... A lot of people just coming through too. I mean, there's a lot of people who want to visit. There's a, you know, so it, it's. Well, I heard some, this guy named Joe Rogan might be coming through the area. He might be. Uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't happen to know anything about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, there are, there are, uh, there are quite a few rumors and uh, he might, he might be finding himself here in Austin, Texas, along with the rest of that crew yeah. uh, as well, which will be great for the comedy scene here too, which yeah. is super exciting. Uh, there's a reason why we have action based in Austin, Texas. I mean, initially being rooted there through coffee with our, the founder of action coffee. Um, but just the culture in general, you know, the 10th planet fits right into that. Um, I, I, I tell people often that I feel like this, I feel like this place, I feel like Austin is what California felt like in like the late sixties, early seventies, as <laughs> it was, you know, the birth of some kind of, movement was going on it just feels like austin is a spot where um you know it is it is um 
I don't know. It's, it, it, it's a unique spot. It's a blue dot in a red state, which I think brings the best of everything to our place. It's, it's a really balanced place. It's a place where you can engage with different ideas and, and have these conversations and, and have a wide variety and, and just people are open and honest and, um, you know, really liberal people. It's a really cool liberal place, you know, where, where we have these, you know, the kind of conversations that we have. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. So I want to go back to your writing. Is that something that you've always done, you know, through, you know, early in career school, like what, what's the journey and path on writing? Or is that something that more came out of other things that you were doing? I always made lists when I was a kid, man. I always, I always liked writing stuff down. I was always, always had a pen, always had a piece of paper, always had a book wherever I went. Uh, my parents were both in publishing. Okay. So one of the things that's really cool is my dad's my editor. So I've gotten to uh, share my relation, like have that relationship with him where I share something with him. He gives it back to me. And every time I give him stuff now, it's better and better. You know, it's less notes. It's, and, and I've learned to write through that. But my mom always had it in the back of her head too, that I would eventually write a book as well. So there may have been an imprint in my head of that too. I always wanted to write a book. It was really the only thing outside of sports that I ever saw myself doing. Okay. Uh, you know, and um, then it was really, I got my master's in business so I could be an NFL agent. And, um, you know, I, I studied the sport of football and analytics and contracts and all that stuff so that I could become well-versed in the things that I am required to understand to negotiate a contract. And, um, you know, that, that was really the journey to writing. And now writing is really the main thing that I like to do because of the stuff you know, with jujitsu, with writing, it's just this process of becoming a better person through uh, practice, you know? So, so being an NFL agent was really the career path that you identified while you were in school. Where did you go to school, by the way? University of Rhode Island. And then I got my master's in um, business from Rutgers, but that was a means to an end of, of getting that so I could become an agent, but I got a lot out of it. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like, and being an NFL agent, I feel is like one of those things everybody wants to be, but no yeah. one really ever looks into what's the path to get there. You know, was there something yeah. that, did you go and in, investigate what that was or did you have some other means like a family friend or somebody that you knew that was in the industry that kind of showed you the ins and the outs of that or? My quarterback in high school, his dad was Wayne Corbett's agent. So that was the first yeah. inkling of, okay, there's somebody I know that's doing that. Um, playing football at Rhode Island, I had some teammates that were went to the NFL, um, had agents. I saw, okay, I get an idea of what they're doing. What you know, I get it's like kind of like a part-time job that could work towards netting you, uh, you know, a percentage of a large contracts in the future. It's a gamble. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a difficult business, right? But uh, I had a conversation with a friend, uh, Brian Cushing. He's also heavily into jujitsu now as well. And uh, he left one agent for another because the second agent knew everything about contracts and he just really impressed him in that facet. So that's when I went out and I started writing for overthecap.com and kind of established myself as this contract salary cap guy Mm -hmm. and sort of, uh, you know, then I built on that. And then I eventually I realized I found this information to write a book uh, about like a money ball angle. Um, And that was my first book. And now the second edition is the one coming out in the fall. But, um, but yeah, it, it's just, that was, that's the path I, I foresaw, which was 
become an expert and then try and find my way into the industry because you have to have like some kind of niche. You have to have some kind of angle. You mm -hmm. have to have something that separates you from other people because it's, it's not an easy business and you have to, you have to have the capital to do it. So you've got to maybe find a job or a gig with a bigger firm, or you've got to, you know, make, put yourself in a position to have that extra capital, but it's, it's a tough gig. It's a really, um, you know, hard, hard way to make a living. So it's, it's definitely not the only thing you can be doing, you know? So are you still actively representing any, any clients and whatnot? So how's that been through COVID? This is my first year. Oh, so wow. <laughs> I ha yeah, yeah, man. Right. Like, so we, uh, I'm helping represent a, uh, defensive lineman from the university of Texas named Jamari Chisholm. And unfortunately for him, he's got, he's like got freak size. He's like six, five, he's uh, 300 pounds, ran a four, nine, one, right. Did we, we even got him, you know, with the guys that on it with CJ McFarland put up, put together a, an impromptu pro day for us on the same day that Jamari was supposed to have his Texas pro day. And it was really great to see. Cause you know, as you can imagine, you envision your pro day years out, you envision all of these scouts coming to see you and Jamari took it in stride. And, um, you know, he, he was disappointed for a minute, you know, he, but he, he then went out and he performed on that day, but you find yourself in a position where the, the roster's not 90, the roster's 80 this year. So the roster is now in this position where like guys like Jamari aren't given the opportunity. They didn't get the training, the, they didn't get the mini camps that come in May. They didn't get the rookie, you know, the rookie mini camps. They didn't get the tryouts that would have come along. So it just becomes one of those things where, you know, you, you, there's not, there's not much that anybody can do because, you know, we're dealing with this thing right now, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's just, it's not, it's a tough first year to be in it, you know, because they, you know, you got to pay your dues to be a part of the NFLPA's uh, certification heading into the next year. And they're still expecting those. They're still, all the States are still expecting the licensing fees and all these kinds of things. Yeah. So it doesn't stop. But um, it, put, it put a big damper on a lot of guys' opportunities to just get signed and have an opportunity. And, you know, you, you hate to see that knowing that it happened to one guy. You know, it happened to your guy. It happened to 100 other guys that maybe might have had a different story. And then you see what's going on with colleges. And I played in the CAA, which is the, the Colonial Athletic Association. And they're pushing their games into the spring. Um, you know, and you're, you, there's a lot of questions. And then you think about like high school kids and kids going into like their senior year of college or high school with all the things. And you, you know, as a football guy, you're just like, damn, like this is, you feel bad how, how much it must affect. Like, I mean, football was life for me. Football was everything. So to take football away would have been, <clears throat> yeah, are you in the Valley, right? Uh, no, I'm in Pittsburgh right now. Oh, so. right, right. You're in Pittsburgh right now. Right. Did you move out there? Um, so I'm, I'm from Western Pennsylvania. So. Um, I grew up north of here um, in a really small town called Bradford, PA. It's like okay. a small little 10,000 person city. Uh, Zippo lighters is kind of what we're known for. But okay. um, I moved to Pittsburgh like four years ago. I've lived all over the place. I was in Philadelphia for a while. I lived in Indianapolis. I was in Des Moines, Iowa, kind of just hopped around the Midwest and East Coast for a while. And uh, my two brothers lived in Los Angeles and I went out there with them and we got into the, the cannabis uh, business for a little bit. And yeah, yeah. Uh, we started an event services company and then three months later, COVID hit and it's like no events. And then with cannabis, like how do you, it's kind of like been a nightmare as well. So totally. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
it hits everybody. It's hitting everybody yeah. for sure. Um, you know, that, that was one thing that really got me upset during COVID was just thinking about all the gym owners because I've had such a kinship to gym owners. I trained at Joe DeFranco's gym in, uh, in Jersey when I was in college. Um, so, you know, he was a mentor of mine and you just, you understand the economics behind the, that, and then you scale it out to things like what you're doing and it, it hits everybody, you know, and it, it's tough. Yeah. And it, it kind of doesn't make sense either because if there's anything somebody should be doing, it should be exercising. It should be getting themselves yeah. better shape. It should be moving. So yeah. to, to shut gyms down to me and, and not say that that's not essential, it's asinine. One of the things, too, is from the data that uh, there was this guy, uh, Aaron Ginn, he put out the data in March, and Medium.com took it down. And um, it had the data from South Korea and the data from Italy, and it said a lot of young people were going to get it and they'd be fine. And it said a lot of old people were going to be in a position where they, you know, if they got it, it would be, they'd be at risk. So I've kind of felt, too, is that, like, as young, healthy people, we should be going out, we should be going to the gym, we should be living our lives. Maybe we're going to get it, we're probably going to get it, but you know, that's kind of our duty is to kind of create whatever this herd immunity people are talking about, right? Yep. Is to kind of put yourself where it's like all the healthier people are the ones that went out and they established herd immunity and, you know, they didn't bring it home and kill, kill someone at home. Unfortunately, you know, it, yeah. Hopefully. Oh, I've taken some shit from people because I've, I've been very vocal about the whole mask scenario and not like, look, yeah. I, I wear a mask. I, I go into a store that asks me to wear a mask. I put it on. Me I too. get it. I get it, yeah. right? Like it's common yeah. sense. It's gonna obviously keep you from blowing certain amounts of yeah. stuff through your thing. It's not perfect, but hey, okay, I'll sign up if it's not gonna be too big of an inconvenience. But like people doubling down on that and not wanting to talk about the 30 other ways that you can make an impact, it's like, hey, let's all get on this train and let's just yeah. ignore everything else. What's your point? Are you really yeah. trying to make an impact? Because if you're trying yeah. to make an impact, you could talk about a number of other things. Or are you just okay. trying to be virtuous? Are you trying to be the person that's in the camp? You don't want to be wrong. It's just really convenient. So I'm just going to go yeah. with what's, what's the, like, the popular conversation right now. Which to me, yeah. it's like, then just shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear your opinion then. There's enough <laughs> you're speaking it. my language. You're speaking there's my a, language. Well, there's enough of it, right? I can, I can yeah. go and hear it. So I don't need you to write a big rant about why I should wear a mask. I've read it enough, you know, Maybe yeah, yeah. tell me, tell me something interesting about, you know, vitamin, vitamin D. D. Yeah. yeah, yeah you me, said, yeah, yeah. Tell me exactly. something interesting, you know, yeah. and, and I'll listen because that's what we should be doing. We should all be sharing information, but just like being an asshole and being, you know, Oh, I wear a mask because of you, not because of me. And uh, well, thanks. I'm so glad you're, you're so fucking awesome. And you care so much about everybody else. But you're also 290 pounds, and my insurance premiums went up last year. So yep. get yourself well. You know, like I. One person said to me is that uh, about about um during lockdown, uh, one person said to me that uh, your rights end at my nose. Like I was punching him in the face if I went outside and I continued to live my life, and it's like it, there's this weird. This one issue is the one issue where. Uh, we're all supposed to capitulate to everybody else, but we're also not at the same time. We're not allowed to talk about like I just saw, you know, no disrespect. I just saw Sports Illustrated had the curviest model they've ever had. And she's 
pretty big. And I'm like, aren't we in the middle of a pandemic where all the healthy people had to stay inside to protect the people that were at risk and we're celebrating this. And like, that's kind of the perverted thing about our culture right now is that, um, you know, we need to get back to whatever the truth is. I've been writing a lot about this. I've been taking notes. I've been journaling like about jujitsu. Jujitsu like is kind of a vehicle for truth for me. Right. And that's one thing that's fascinating to me about Eddie Bravo is that like, he has such a creative mind that he, he built a system and then he went out and he built the pe- he beat the people who actually, he beat the best guy at the, you know, at the time from the family that created the sport itself. And he did that by putting people in positions that they had never been in before, that they'd never rep. And that's essentially what his system is, right? He created a lot of different games and that's what jujitsu is. There's a lot of different games that, and areas that you can bring people into. And if it's the game of chess, right, which is what it is, if you're bringing somewhere, someone somewhere where they haven't been, then they don't understand the proper responses, right? And so he's such a brilliant guy in that manner. And, you know, that's, you know, that's what Eddie's whole look into it kind of stuff that he talks about is, is that, you know, he's got such a fascinating mind because he, he beat the game. He won, you know, he beat the game of jujitsu and he's created this system that is now expanded out to all these schools and creates all these high level competitors and he did it by thinking so far outside the box that he took the gi off at a time when no, everyone was like, you know, that's disrespectful. That's this and that. And now we're in the future of jujitsu where everyone wants to see no gi over gi, right? So it's like he understood that that's where the game would become exciting. That's where the game would apply to MMA, which would then get people like ourselves further involved in it because it's like, you know, maybe I want to fight MMA one day. Maybe I just want to be able to test myself one day and go out there and, and do that. And I'm learning a system that's going to make me feel very comfortable in that because I'm not worried about grabbing lapels or grabbing your sleeve or all this other stuff that doesn't apply within MMA. And Eddie is just somebody who, who's always seeking truth. Um, people can, you know, they hear him on Rogan and stuff and you can think he's crazy and stuff. But when he really boils down to it, all this look into it stuff is just like, what's the truth? I'm, I'm, I'm searching for it. And whatever the truth is in our society and whatever the true way of being is and whatever the, you know, wherever, whatever is the proper way to, for us to live. And one of the things that keeps coming back to me too, is we see the way that people attack Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan was trending again yesterday because people were mad at him. And there's a lot of these truth seekers and a lot of these guys that really have a positive impact on men and I, I, I feel like there's too much attacking of these guys that have personally infinitely made my life better by the things that I've learned through either listening to them or listening to the people that they gave a platform and allow them to speak, uh, you know, for countless hours. And, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of issues right now with the truth. And there's a lot of issues right now with anything past just trying to tell people, like you were saying about being virtuous. There's a lot of that out there. There's this attempt to be virtuous, but the virtue is, is basically, uh, for lack of a better term, it's, it's like, a, it's like uh, it, there's just no depth to it. There's no depth to it. And, and it's like the truth is, is a long conversation to be had and, a, and a, something to be discussed over, over beers or whatever. Well, and, there's been a loss of nuance. Yeah, that too. You know, that too. I, and it's important to have these you know, conversations on a podcast because of, because of that. Yeah, I think people boil things down to very black and white. And when you do that, it's impossible to entertain big complex ideas. Right. You just, you right. write it off. It's, it's, it's gotta be this or that. And right. I'm just somebody who I, 
in the 33 and a half years that I've been on this earth, I've never seen a whole lot of anything be black or white. Everything's nuanced. If you want to look deep enough, there's extreme nuance to every level of decision-making and everything that's occurring around us. So I'm a data person. I think you're a data person. Yeah. And the more data that you can take in, the better you can understand situations. So I, I think even if it's bad data, sometimes yeah. you got to sift through it and you got to take that in almost to, to check your bullshit sensor too. You got to keep yourself almost, uh, you got to test yourself every once in a while and you got to throw that in there as well. But you know, I, you were I talking think, about it. You were okay. talking about it, uh, about, uh, what happens when you, um, when you smoke well, uh, with, uh, with Ray, you were talking about, you know, yeah. Uh, the way it, the paranoia or whatever that word is, the way it makes you question and it makes you poke at this and it makes you, you know, try. And, and one of the things you're saying too, that, that speaks to me as well is that, you know, with the, the book, I, the second book I write had some things that were improvements and I look at them as improvements, but they were changes in my philosophy, not principle changes in my philosophy around team building. Right. So my books are about Essentially, the first book was called Caponomics, Building Super Bowl Champions. The next one is going to be called um, Caponomics, How NFL Champions Are Built and Dynasties Are Destroyed, right? And so that becomes, you know, and one of the things that I I learned through the process of that was bringing maybe a little more nuance into some of these perspectives, right? Like I I had more of an, like I, I was probably a little bit too harsh on maybe like wide receiver spending in my first book, right? I was a little too harsh on the Falcons spending 25% of the cap on Matt Ryan and Julio Jones in 2016. And I, and I attributed some of their loss to the fact that, which is valid. It's a valid belief that some of their, some of the issue they faced against the Patriots was they ended up playing 99 defensive snaps and they had a very, very young defense and they had gone all in on the strategy that they have a young defense because of Dan Quinn, which is a, is a valid Dan Quinn was a defensive coordinator with the Seahawks when they won their championships which is a valid premise, right? He, he, he'd won before with like a cheap uh, defensive backfield and they, they drafted well and all that. But like, there are these consequences around spending. But what I, in the second book, I added a little more nuance because I'm three years removed from writing the first one or two years. So now I'm, I'm in a position where I can be a little more nuanced because, and that's one of the, fat, one of the issues with the lack of nuance is that, um, you know, I, I, this is one of the things that with, uh, that I realized about school over the last few months is that doing well in school is essentially about be doing what you're told and remembering what you're told, right? It's not about critical thinking. It's not about being able to write an essay. Like my, I talked to my dad about, about how he, um, what they were doing in, when he was in school. And it was like, it was all about essays and you could argue, it was about arguing your point, right? And we need to, you know, we need to be able to write better. We need to be able to talk better. We need to be able to explain like ourselves better. And like, you know, I'm upset. I I always carry a notebook with me. I'm always writing on my notes and it's not just stuff about football because writing is the art of just working out your ideas on paper or working out your ideas on on your phone. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. not necessarily paper anymore, but as long as you're doing that, there's um, an ability to get to the more nuanced aspects of conversations, just exploring your mind and exploring topics. And I think that uh, it's something that's lost because it, a lot of our dialogue in the country is, 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 is driven by the Twitter space. And you can see that at newspapers, how they respond to, you know, kind of that, the outrage that they feel like might come back on them. Maybe we've even seen the New York Times kind of cower to it recently with Tom Cotton's um, 
and then what they did to the editor. So, and, and it's not that people are always ill-intentioned, right? I mean, it's just people are scared and people aren't are afraid to stand up to the mob. And, and you know, we, we can't be fearful of, of standing on the side of nuance, you know? Yeah. Wow, man. I, it's, you know, it scares me uh, in yeah. a lot of ways because there's very few people who can be their true selves. And even those people, I wonder if they're being their true self or if they're playing a role. And so it's mm. easier to be their true self as a role because it's, you know, they just, they kind of yeah. to that a little bit. Um, but we, we've essentially empowered the people so much through information, through, uh, giving everybody a mouthpiece and, and the ability to feel important. Yeah. That, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think we're in trouble in a lot of ways. I hate to be bleak, but no, um, but um, it is scary. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah, no, I, but I think you're in a good state at least. Uh, yeah. When when shit falls apart. Um. So what's the? I mean, what is the process in getting a book published? And, and let's. I mean, how much are you allowed to get into what occurred? And I know we weren't yeah. able to initially have a conversation. We were trying to be careful about some things, but. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, I mean, that kind of, that kind of leads us right into like the, uh, you know, what we were talking about is that, um, you know, you're saying that it's bleak out there, but one of the things that I realized through COVID was, like I said, it's important to me to go to jujitsu, uh, the ability to have an impact on people there as, as a recovering addict, uh, you know, what that, whatever that term means. Um, because you know, I, I, that's in the past for me. I ain't never going back. Right. Um, so I don't know what recovering means and that, I guess that's what it means to me. But, um, part of that process for me is I've learned a lot, um, about myself and I went to war with my mind essentially. Right. I had a demon in my mind that would tell me, damn, like, you know, you need more Percocet, man. You need more. And it was always telling me that. And it was always like, and it was like that for a couple years. So to beat that and then to be a writer and to live within my own mind, um, I got a lot out of that. Uh, out of that process and the people who come into jiu-jitsu schools like you said weirdos right it's typically like there's a wide variety of people that are there for some reason they understand that there's some growth that they need to experience and we've created an atmosphere that i feel like draws that out of people so what i realized was that's what's important to me and 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 i realized too in that in in being a part of that community and which is part of the issue with our our culture is that there aren't a lot of people don't have communities like they once did. And they're searching for that. I, you know, Sebastian Younger's book tribe, right? He talks yeah. about PTSD largely being about, um, you know, you're not around your boys anymore. You're not around the, the guys that you were in the military with You're And for me, there was, I, that spoke to me as a former football player. And that was kind of what told me I needed to get involved in like another community, like jujitsu. Um, was that I wasn't around my boys anymore. I wasn't around people like me. I, and then you look out into the world and if you're kind of, you know, uh, have a little bit of that warrior gene or whatever, you're really into like physical pursuits. There's not, you've got to find that group because if you just are searching around aimlessly, you're not necessarily going to find them. And so part of that whole story for me is like, I have my community and I know what I stand for. And so in terms of standing up to the mob, um, you know, I heard you and Ray talk about it as well, is that like, 
there's this crazy thing going on where Candace Owens can see her GoFundMe for a, for a business get shut down because Candace Owens is running it, but people can go out and they can, they can donate to a fund that's bailing out protesters and rioters. And we're not even going to have a conversation about that. And I watched almost all of sports media, you know, every, you know, any outlet you could think of was donating to it and proudly donating into it and creating a thread where they were all like, I don't, I matched your $50 donation. I matched. It's the nuance, right? Because I support, you know, not allowing police brutality. I support, you know, systemic racism being something that goes away. Like I, that's fucking horrible. And there's a lot of it. There's more than anybody wants to admit that goes on in this country. It's it's, it's sickening, right? White people and black people who get arrested for the same drug crimes get different results. Money is part of that driving process. Because if you get arrested... To get out of it, how do you get out of it? You give X amount of dollars to some already rich lawyer who then goes talks to his friend who's the judge, and the judge lets you off. And if you don't have that money, you can't pay off. It's a weird payoff system where it's like a distribution of resources from somebody who's not doing that well to somebody who's doing really well, who then talks to his friend who's the judge. And then if you do, if you play that game, you'll be all right. But if you can't play that game, then I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe it's going to be difficult on you. But sorry, continue. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're, I mean, you're dead on, man. And I think the thing that messes with me is you can have all those beliefs, but if you want to criticize people for smashing windows and stealing Nikes, then you're all of a sudden, the, yeah. the nuance is gone. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to critically think. You're not allowed to, no. it's like, and if it's frustrating because it's, it's not because of your own lack of ability to critically think. It's right. because of the folks who don't want to critically think and say, yeah. you know what, I can't, I don't have the, either the energy or the capacity to look at this in a way that you're looking at it to really see that, oh, I can support and be against these certain things, but also not want yeah. to, you know, just hop on and, and cheer on folks that are fucking up society. Bro, they've been, they've been breaking stuff in Portland for two months now. Yeah. And the media is kind of covering for it. Like we just had something happen in Austin. Maybe it's a nuanced scenario, but like the, unfor- it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that someone died. It's always unfortunate when someone dies. But the dude had an AK-47 and was videotaped earlier that day talking about how uh, no one was going to do anything to him because they, they weren't really about that life, essentially. He used, he used more colorful language. But, um, you know, he, he – he had an AK, he got shot and the news, I see Sean King pretending that there was like no, and it's just like this cycle of like this virtue signaling that's also intended to divide. And one of the things that's fascinating to me is that at Rutgers, I had to take a business ethics course across the river. It was in Jersey city. It was across the river from wall street. The people who were why we had to take the business ethics course, right? Because they were like, after 2008, you know, we got a business ethics is super important. And the only thing I remember from that class was take nice sounding issues, things that people will get behind. Those are really good for positive PR. And that's essentially what all of these corporations do. I mean, on March 2nd, Forbes wrote an article about Nike, Adidas, and Apple. You, this might get you demonetized. <laughs> using slave labor in China. And a week later, I'm not going to get conspiratorial into it, but a week later, all of their top athletes, all of their biggest endorsers, suddenly the NBA season was suspended and the whole world reacted in panic. And it became this huge thing. 
that I am going to get conspiratorial for a moment that has now distracting us from the Michael Flynn case. That's now distracting us from Ghislaine Maxwell. It's now distract. There's all this stuff that's going on behind the scenes too, that we're all like, kind of like, Whoa, what? Like, it's not just this, there's all this stuff. And, but like, so do you think, so do you think it's, it's as big as somebody cooked it all up to cover up one of those things? Or do you think this is just something that's happening and people are, continuing to throw kindling on the fire yeah, so yeah, to speak yeah. in order to keep the distraction going so yeah. that whatever's popping up in the in the in the background whether it be uh, flynn epstein yeah. an election uh, uh mail-in voting all that kind of stuff so what's fascinating to me right is that so all these states opened up right in in may and all the bump that we were supposed to see and all the chaos we were supposed to see it didn't come and all these news articles were getting dunked on of uh, Georgia's going to be a bloodbath in two weeks. And it wasn't a bloodbath, whatever. Early June, and this is one of the things that was really stuck in my craw about, about what I saw sports media doing, was these were all people that were telling me that all my friends that own jujitsu gyms, I, I have a friend who lost a gym. I, I mean, I'm sure I have more friends that will be losing gyms. I mean, the, the economic consequence of what we've been put through, uh, which is, in my opinion, uh, we were told two weeks to slow the spread, and it wasn't. So the same people who in March and then through May were advocating for one of the greatest civil rights violations in our lifetimes and in our country's history, then spent June telling the rest of us how much they cared about Black people. When 40% of Black businesses might go under from some things I've seen. And by the way, there's a, there's a pandemic going on. So we just sent, and so people are now sitting at home encouraging people. We, we said something about vitamin D. Vitamin D is a big issue in terms of this virus, apparently. There's a, if you're deficient, it leads to negative outcomes. What group of people have more, uh, black people have like a, like a 73, 75% rate of vitamin D deficiency. And, and, then we, and then when the spike in cases that obviously was going to come, when 15 to 26 million people went out and they protested in the street during a pandemic, um, when that came, everyone pretended it had nothing to do with the protest. The same people who were telling us to stay home on football Twitter, now we're saying that the protest had nothing to do with the spread and it was all about the reopening and they completely disregarded what was going on in LA, which was an increase in cases um, and they never reopened. And, and, you know, it's just the kind of deception going on and the kind of the, the, you know, the coincidences that just keep piling up in terms of how things kind of are slanting towards when I, I'm a guy that looks at an incentive. It's part of the reason my book Caponomics is named Caponomics is because of Freakonomics, because you have to look at the hidden side of everything. You have to look at what drives people. Um, and when you consider the media, uh, and their role in the Russia collusion hoax, um, and the DNC and all this kind of stuff that kind of piles up together. When you look at all that, you're like, man, there's a, there's a heavy incentive to kind of distract from that and to kind of, when you couple it with the fact that they, they want Trump to lose, um, you know, there, there's a lot of incentives behind it. Yeah, no, oh God, man. It's, I think you nailed it, right? I think everybody wants it to be some bigger hidden conspiracy when in fact just the desire to hide yourself from being wrong mm -hmm. in a yeah. world where you your value is that you're providing information if you're providing yeah. misinformation you, you really don't have a, a reason to be in existence anymore for three years 
They yeah. all provided what they knew was a false narrative for three years. And like now it's kind of impeachment failed. And one of the other things that was going on in February is that a lot of these states that have, uh, that have, uh, that have sanctuary cities, a lot of these states are, um, uh, we're in a lawsuit with the DOJ. So part of what I feel like has been going on with COVID and with, and with uh, the uh, protests and the, the riots um, and the destruction of property aspect of this is some of these cities and states have now come to the federal government and asked for money. I mean, Illinois asked for like 40 billion. And from what I recall, it's like 36 billion of it is for pensions. So there's a lot of states that are basically bankrupt, which brings me around to the really uncomfortable reality is that how much of our country is like heavily reliant on China, how much of our debt, how much of our businesses, because that's one of the things too, is that the NBA was a big red pill for everybody. This, this league that kind of built itself on, we care about social issues. Uh, it was, that was kind of their response to Kaepernick was, was um, you know, Ka Kaepernick's kind of that lightning rod in sports that's made everything political and, and really kind of cultivated like this, the culture that we see on, on political Twitter, uh, polit football, but political Twitter, football Twitter, same thing. Um, but, you know, it's, it's NBA – the NBA pretended to be about all these things and was like, Oh, the NFL is so far behind in the times they, they don't understand, you know, and Kaepernick led to a 19% decrease in viewership. Right. And that, that, that matters. You know, I'm a salary cap guy. If you're leading to a decrease in viewership, that is going to directly impact the future earnings of, of the largely black population of players that could make, make money and have a positive impact on their community. There's nothing more powerful in this country then like I, I think about this thought often is that like sports are making an entire generation of black athletes capable of going home and helping solve the issues that may have impacted their community as a child which is in, in, incredible well here's what I'll, i never made sense to me with the whole kaepernick thing right i there's other dudes in the league who have spoken up they still have jobs yeah, yeah. Why? right because they're right. because there's an there's a balance do you provide more value than you're worth? And yes. There's no doubt that he's, he used to be a really good quarterback. I think very athletic, somebody who wasn't really over a couple of years able to beat the scheme that a defense was putting in front of him. Yeah. And yeah. that's why teams didn't really see a value in him. There's whether you like it or not, there's a, there's a, stigma with him there's there's a tension right there's there's a tension let's just call it a tension there was right? a tension with tim tebow too exactly right and people yeah. didn't want to deal with the with attention so we already seen this game play yeah. out we are, i don't we and i and that's the thing it's like why do we have to talk about the rapper let's just talk about he wasn't good enough yeah. or else he'd still be playing because there's a hundred examples of guys who have said more ignorant things i i don't have to care one way or another, whether he kneels, stands, or not. Do, do what you want to do, man. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? I, I prefer that you don't, but I also watched a video, and this is something I was pretty critical of Colin Kaepernick, and I watched a video that showed that, you know, he kind of was pretty vocal, and he sat. And there was a, an army or a Naval. military guy. Yeah. yeah. And spoke to him about that and said, hey, you know what? It seemed like Kaepernick – took his advice and said, you know, I don't want to be divisive. I yes. just want to shine the light on a situation, which to me is pretty commendable, right? Mm -hmm. 
I don't know where it went wrong because I've also seen a lot of sound bites, which to me seem misguided, whether he's gotten other organizations or people that have gotten influence into him or his, his camp. But the initial direction that he seemed to be going was one in which, Hey, I'm trying to just show people that there's an issue. And and I wasn't it tied to him being harassed or something. He was pulled over and, and had a gun pulled on him possibly. Yes. Which kind of then, you know, and maybe it was good timing. You know, you, you get moved to second string. How do I stay relevant? Hey, I got I'm a lot of time agent. on my hands. I mean, I'm certified as an agent. I've been, I've been wanting to be an agent for a long time. There has been no better post-career transition in the history of football players. He went from back, backup quarterback to martyr. And one of the things with him was it was never for me when I, I, you know, I sent you some notes and it was like, I was on board with it. You know, I'm big on making changes to the system. I'm big on what he was talking about. I'm big on legalizing weed, treatment for addicts over jail, rehabilitation programs, using prisons as an opportunity to take people who were, who didn't have a chance and maybe improve them. You know, maybe whatever we can do there and whatever we can do to keep people out of prisons and whatever we can do to just improve our society as a whole, right? It's all tied together, right? And the issue that became for me with Kaepernick was, you know, Brendan Schaub actually talked about this too. And, and I, it was good to hear someone else kind of come to the realization. So, you know, you're not crazy. Right. And um, you know, it started to seem like Kaepernick didn't want to play. And his, when he was going to be signed by the Ravens, his girlfriend posted out the Django Unchained uh, picture of Ray Lewis. When Ray Lewis said that he should stop kneeling, we heard you, let's just keep playing. You know, you know, you can make a huge impact still and, and keep moving forward. Um, he wore a Fidel Castro shirt in Miami. And, and one of the things about being a 30-year-old backup mobile quarterback is you need to be in a spot where you fit in. And that took one of the main spots where he fit in off the board, Miami. And um, at the time with Ryan Tannehill. And so, and then, you know, we had this thing, he had this tryout last year uh, or earlier this year or last year, um, late in the season. And, um, you know, he moves the tryout at the last minute. He doesn't want to sign a waiver that says you can't sue us again. That's essentially what the waiver said, uh, from what I recall. You can't sue us again. Um, we can't go to court over this again. And, and you just have to waive your rights. And, you know, he already won one lawsuit as well. Like, he'd already won something against the NFL. And, um, you know, he didn't want to sign it. He moved venues. And then he laced into the league. When 25 representatives were at this other location, he laced into the league in front of all the media and all the reporters. And it's like, there's something about how he's delivered the message that doesn't feel uniting. And, you know, there's, and the other thing is too, is he has said stuff about the flag. He, he asked Nike to not make Betsy Ross flag shoes. So to say that he's not against the flag you know, I, I mean, if you want, you want to be able to speak during the national anthem, and this is my problem with sports media. There's a lot of outlets out there that think that Colin Kaepernick should be allowed to speak during the national anthem. However you may feel about, you know, whatever it is, the principally speaking, you want him to be able to speak during the national anthem, but you don't let your own employees like tweets from people that you disagree with on Twitter. You bring them into your offices and you sit, and I know this happens. Like, this is part of what kind of came to this, you know, this realization, this kind of tussle I got in with football Twitter was like, and one of the other things too, is that Kaepernick donated to that a million dollars to that fund, that Minnesota freedom fund that was bailing people out. And as I pointed out, and which got me in trouble with my publisher, I pointed out that the Minnesota freedom fund and New York city Antifa were both advertising that they had the same group of lawyers, the national lawyers guild 
which is apparently a group that has been around since the 1920s, started by communists and continued, you know, through to this day. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it, the thing with sports right now, and one thing that, you know, I'm kind of, you know, why I stood up for what I stood up for is that there's a lot of people in sports media that don't have the right to speak. And what the sports media is attempting to do right now is the same thing they did in schools, uh, the same thing they did in all the other media, which is only, pre only present to people and to children, most importantly, because, I mean, you, I'm sure you watched a lot of sports growing up. I'm sure you watched a lot of sports center. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, and now as an adult, you understand how important the stuff that we put in front of kids is in terms of developing their mind and how they see the world. And if you're only going to present the, this worldview, that's kind of like America bad, you know, America does all these things wrong. Like I tried to watch the Bruce Lee documentary with, uh, with the kids, right? The Bruce Lee documentary is like this, like it's, it's all through the prism of like race and like, uh, all this other stuff. And it's like, there's so much more to Bruce Lee. And, you know, the young, uh, my girl's youngest is like, ah, this is boring. Let's watch something else. It's like, it's not, it's not even entertaining anymore. And it's like, one of the things that really was crazy about it was they were, they showed us videos of the protests in 1967 against British rule. This was on ESPN on a platform that when the NBA uh, didn't, when Daryl Morey's Hong Kong tweet went out, ESPN sent a memo to their employees to not talk about the China relationship because ESPN is owned by Disney. Disney also owns ABC News, which uh, squashed Amy Robach. You remember her getting caught on the hot mic, her Epstein uh, story in 2016, right? So it's like, there's all these interconnected people where you're just like, oh, like y'all ain't really about, and that's, that's where my next book is. My next book is just like, I'm so engrossed in this woke capitalism phenomenon that I discussed about, you know, it, it all stemmed from that first thing I learned from at that Rutgers class, which is everyone's just trying to use these issues that are nice sounding and that get you positive PR. And they're trying to cultivate for themselves attention, which then leads to dollars, which is really just a, a really cynical form of capitalism. Well, and the thing that's really sinister is what wouldn't be the biggest story right now to generate all kinds of revenue for people yeah. that we're not talking about. Bro. And because Bro. We're, I think we both agree that this, the media is driven by clicks, right? We, uh -huh. I've, I've been duped like four times this week where I've like clicked on some story and I've read through it. And I'm like, what the fuck? That has nothing to do with <laughs> what that said, right? And that touche, yeah, I'll give it to the writer that got me because it's, some of them are so obvious. It's like, I'm not even going to bother reading that. But there's a few that have, have kind of caught me off guard and I've had to read through it. Um, but it's all driven by getting those clicks to fulfill the ad revenue that they're now competing with all kinds of people that were never their competitors even five or yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. Yet, the biggest story possibly in the history of mankind yeah, dude. is not being talked about. People dude. are disappearing. People have died. A, a guy I, I mean jesus christ that x driver that yeah what the fuck right like how are yeah. how is that not talked about or entertained because the standard of what we do talk about it's not like it's walter cronkite getting on there and kind of reporting the day's facts of what's happening around the world i mean yeah. we entertain all kinds of bullshit from both sides of the aisle yeah, yeah yet yeah. we won't talk about epstein 
I know, dude. I know. And you wonder how much dirt that fool had on everybody. He must have had everybody's number. Because when you really start to look into this stuff, man, and here's one thing, too, is that Twitter just said that they're going to, like, ban people who have QAnon activity, right? And QAnon activity is what we're talking about right now. We're talking about Epstein. So this is, would be QAnon activity. Um, everything from Obamagate to this and then to a bunch of other things in between could be construed as QAnon activity. So it's really sinister when you think of it uh, for that, from that perspective that like that's your basis because I don't, <laughs> I don't see Q QAnon people burning down buildings or whatever. Like I, I see a lot of that going on right now, but I don't think it's a QAnon guys. I, I heard it's the Antifa guys, right? And so... But I mean, Epstein must have had dirt on everybody. And, and what's really sinister about it too is that like, it's not just that people were his friend earlier. It's that Bill Gates was his friend after 2008. And one of the stories that I've known about for quite a few years that I've been yelling about for quite a few years is, um, is in 2008, he got busted for uh, soliciting a minor for prosecution, right? And, and um he got out of it by t discussing with the judge how important he was because he was one of the founding members of the Clinton Foundation. And then after that, he was still friends with Bill. He was still friends with Gates. He still had an office at Harvard. And one of the things about this whole thing, I've been talking to Sam Tripoli about it a lot, right? We, we're getting into it, is the woke six. And these are the woke six, the six organizations that pretend to be the wokest. And I think that there's a historical lesson to be taught about um, I learned it in this book called The Communist uh, by a guy named, I think it was Paul Kengor, and it was about Frank Marshall Davis, who was Barack Obama's mentor, who was a card-carrying communist. And one thing that, I uh, remember the term Potemkin villages. So in North Korea, they would, bring, they would bring people over to North Korea before everyone found out what North Korea was always about. And they would be like, oh, here's our, here's our supermarkets. See, everything's great here. They would do the same thing in the 40s in Russia, and they would bring over black activists, and they'd convince them that you know, Russia's way different than America. We treat everybody here with respect. When in reality, Bill Burr has a joke. And Dennis it's a phenomenal Rodman. joke. What was that? Dennis Rodman. Well, Dennis Rodman got sent over there too to play some, you know, to do the whole basketball thing, right? But like, Bill Burr's got a great joke. And he's like, you know, who's, you know, we're talking, you know, there's a debate over, you know, is it Hitler or Stalin? Everyone's like, oh, he's worse than Hitler. Everyone forgets about Stalin, right? And so this, this cult, this country in this you know system the ussr and one of the things about that you watch chernobyl on hbo dude i i started watching it on an airplane and i got through all but the last episode and i can't find it you can't find it well, i, I think i could probably find it but i have not finished right, please, that last episode yeah. please do but you you saw the important scene for what i'm talking about right now yeah. is all the people that were telling everybody that it was misinformation to talk about what happened at chernobyl right and so one of the things that they understood was that they could sow, the, the communists in the 1940s understood was that they could sow racial division and they could, they could pretend to be for something that they really weren't, right? And the woke six are, all six of these industries are heavily tied to China. And China is a communist nation. So, and I also, there's this nagging question in my head of to do business in China, what kind of conversation do you have to have with the CCP to do business in China? What kind of deal do you have to make? Um, and that's very curious to me, especially when we consider the whole, the NBA is kind of what started the whole panic and what happened in October, right? And so the woke six is Hollywood, the media, the DNC, 
Um, you know, because Hillary was getting donations from China back, the, not Hillary, Bill, in his re-election. There was, a, there was a scandal that everyone forgot about was that Clint, the Clintons were getting some money in the 90s from China. So I think they've been playing a long game with a lot of our politicians, right? And, and that's one of the things about Clinton Foundation and all these organizations is that I think if we really dug underneath all this stuff, we'd find out that a lot of these foundations were friends giving each other money to avoid taxes, friends paying each other off for things, countries paying people off. So the woke six is, you know, the media, Hollywood, China, I mean, China, the DNC, Silicon Valley, uh, academia. And then I, I placed the NBA in there as well because, they, you know, they're their own industry now. Um, and, and it's fascinating to see all the connections between these organizations and China, and then also see how much of this narrative they're pushing on us and how many of those people, right. And, and think about those corporations, think about those multinational corporations, all of them putting their support behind black lives matter. I, I can't forget this, that like that after like that first weekend in Minnesota, um, you know, there were it, things had spiraled out of control fairly quickly. You know, I don't know how they got there, but they spiraled out of control. Like the next Monday or Tuesday, it was like every big corporation was like, we stand with you, this and that. And there was no one mentioned anything about like, hey, we hear you. Let's do this peacefully. Like, hoorah. Like, let's, like, let's go out there and, and prove a point. Like, you know, let's do it, which I'm all for. I'm all for. So once I kind of went off on football Twitter, I, I just felt like a wave of relief where I was just like, man, I just need to be myself. You know, I, I know who I am. I know, you know, I, I look around and I see the people who I look up to. They don't care what the mob says. They know who they are. And, um, you know, I know who I am. Like, you know, I, I get a daily reminder on the jujitsu mats. And, you know, I came out of it, my publisher, a couple weeks after I argued with these guys on football Twitter, uh, they canceled my contract. Uh, we didn't have a morality clause. I know because I negotiated the contract. So I knew I had a feeling they, they, they were behind on paying me every time they were supposed to pay me. But so, so I was like, I have a feeling these guys don't really like me all that much. Cause I was sitting there and I was doing, I'm like, here's something else on COVID. Here's something else. On, and I'm out tweeting all this stuff. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of the four voices in sports media who is just like, what are we doing staying inside? You know, <laughs> I'm like, we need, like, I need to go to jujitsu. You guys have to stop keeping the gym closed down. You know, I'm going nuts. Right. And, um, you know, admittedly, so I'm going nuts. I'm like, here's the data, you know, I'm going Alex Jones. I'm like, you know, we've got to get back in the gym, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so, um, you know, they, 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 uh, they canceled the deal, but because I didn't have a morality clause, they had to pay me out my contract. They had to give me all the rights to my book. Um, so they paid me out in advance and, and, I, and they didn't, they wanted me to not speak about how they essentially discriminated against my viewpoint because they're quite all right with publishing books from people who call every Trump supporter a white supremacist, which is kind of the, you know, the, the, the way you're supposed to talk in sports media is you're allowed to just go out and say that, but you're not allowed to have a nuanced perspective on an, an alternative side. Um, you know, it's like, and to see that, and it just like, I, I, I won, I kind of won the battle. I had a, I had a lawyer step up, uh, Clinton Mickle, um, and he, he stepped up really big and, um, you know, we, we won. And now I get to, you know, publish the book myself and be an independent author with the benefit of got, getting paid to rewrite this thing. Uh, and that's the thing, man, like what, regardless of what your opinion is, Good, yeah. I, good ideas will outweigh bad ideas. I believe that. I've heard it. I've seen it happen. Yeah. And we, we're restricting that. We're not allowing the merging of ideas. And I think it's because of the softening of society through 
participation awards and, and all of that. I mean, it's, it's, you know, people don't want to admit it, but that's truly the case. There's yeah, a, yeah. there's a, a very clear chunk of society that's kind of right after my age group, you know, that mid to late 20 year old age bracket that yeah. didn't have to face the same type of diversity in general. I'm not saying everybody, but in general that everybody else had to prior. And you can see the impact of that as a whole. Yeah. It's like, there's, like I said, school's about like, I was someone who didn't, I didn't care about school enough. Mm -hmm. So when I had a professor in college who sat there and told me how great Barack Obama was in a class that wasn't about Barack Obama, um, I started Googling this stuff and I'm like, well, that's not true. And that's not true. And then I'd start arguing with him. And then I, I like, and so like most people, <laughs> most people are like, whatever, I don't really care. I'm gonna just sit here. But like, I mean, look at my ears, man. I don't, I haven't had these that long, but I mean, I well, could have clarified had them too, right? Like you're not coming and you I'm sure weren't coming from a point of, I hate Barack Obama no. as much as you were. I just live in a world where I can't have fake it, like information. That's yeah, not no, true. Like no, I'm just, no. I'm only bringing this up because you're kind of spitting something that's in, in factual. And it, it drives it, it drives a lot of frustration too. What people still don't understand, which is why, like, <laughs> like I joke around about it, is that we need four more years of Trump because they still haven't learned the lesson. The lesson of 2016 was a big fu. It was, you know, you don't like because there's a lot of people out there that are essentially their viewpoint kind of gets discriminated against. There's a lot of people in the middle of the country who are just looked at as like this big amorphous blob of idiots. And they're not, they're people that they, they're people that may, they may farm, they may, they may live like some, you know, they may live a simpler life than us. They might not be farmers, right? But they have a simpler life. And one of the realities of our current issue, right? We're talking about police brutality. We're talking about African-American black issues. Um, one of the issues is the same issue that the black community faced in 1980, middle America's facing, you know, opiates. Yeah. I mean, how many, one of the fascinating things about China being at the center of this is suddenly we care about something that came from China when, thank God I got out of uh, doing pills when I did, because, you know, I've lost friends, you know, I'm going to continue to lose people that I was friends with yeah. because fentanyl is in this shit, whether it's a pill, they're, they're sending over fake pills that look like um, the 30 milligram blue pills that, you know, and, and, and it's coming over from China and we're, we're killing, there's a ton of kids getting killed off. And that's one of the things too, is that why I'm skeptical of experts is because I was given ADHD medication at 14. I didn't need it. You know, I, I have enough energy. Uh, you know, it, it, it didn't calm me down and I got prescribed Percocet for the first time at 16 when I broke my foot. So I was basically prescribed a speedball. And then that speedball kind of became this thing that kind of felt normal to me in some weird capacity sometimes because I was always like rationalizing to myself that I could write better or think better or whatever. And our, our big pharma has kind of, you know, created this whole problem and then we just move on from it. We're like, oh, Purdue Pharma, they're going to get sued by Oklahoma, but they're just going to declare bankruptcy. And all those people that died, they're not going to come back. You know, all the stuff that we did in the 80s to the black community as a, as a government and as a... You know, this, speaking of crazy things, I mean, the CIA has a history of potentially being drug dealers. 
Um, so, I mean, that's not even conspiracy at this point, right? It's just Barry like, Seals. yeah, yeah. I mean, Barry Seal, the American, uh, uh, the American made movie. Um, you know, I saw some chart about, you know, Taliban, opi- tal- the Taliban was decreasing opium production. And then there, we, we, it, that was in 1999, 2000. And then you can take it from there. You know, we, we, everyone knows what happened 95% of the world's opium comes out of Afghanistan. Now, how did that happen? So it's just, that's where I always get hung. Like I, I, I truly believe the after effects, we didn't want to leave because we didn't want to leave control of that. Yeah. I, I go back and forth on are things like that motive or are they the icing on the cake that when you go in, you keep the oil, you keep the the poppy fields. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. You know? That's an interesting way to look at it, yeah. Because is it is it why or is it? Oh, also we get you know this will pay for the war. Yeah. Wait, but it didn't pay for the war because we're still going into further and further debt. So who got the money? Who got all the money? Right? I guess if it's thought about at all on the front end, it's a part of the reason why. Yeah, and it's um, you know, I mean, like, the, so point being is that as a nation, we're talking about the division, right? It's yeah. like we're all facing the same problems, so having a media that only promotes one side of a problem creates anger that could be better served of those people understanding that or both sides, right? Like the, the black kid from the hood and the white kid from Kentucky, them understanding that they're a lot, they're facing the same problems, you know, whether you've got money or you don't have money, you're going to run into a problem, whether your family's got it or not, because there's plenty of things that trip up the, the wealthy kid. And there's plenty of things that trip up the poor kid. And, it's just con- it's what you make of it. I mean, everyone knows of the trust fund kid who never seems to get off the ground. So, you know, everyone everyone's got their own story and we've just got to we've got to get back to having some sort of understanding of what we all stand for together um and that you know, we are we are a lot more alike than we are different. Well, it's funny because when you mentioned earlier how I said the kind of the quote unquote weirdos in jiu-jitsu, I think we're all weird in a way yeah. everybody right we all have skeletons in our closet we've had life experiences that we don't share with other people whether it's our yeah. because we're insecure or whatever right but jujitsu is one of those things that instantly there's a vulnerability in yeah. in just participating in it and so that common vulnerability amongst everybody is kind of that first step to being able to get a little deeper, peel the layers of that onion back, so to speak. It's the most important thing that I think, like, that I think people can do, right? Like, I met my girl at jujitsu. Her two kids were starting. They were, uh, she was going through a divorce. Um, just watching the kids grow over the last few years through our community. Ben Shapiro said something last week that it's not about a man being in the home. Like, you know, we talk about single parent, uh, single motherhood. It's not just about a man being in the home. It's about a community of men being around. Yep. And so you bring kids into that environment and you give them, and it's something my parents did really well is I was always talking to older people, you know, being those kids being around all these older people, like has now put them in a position where they have all of these examples to look after. Um, and uh, the, what you're saying about weirdos and vulnerability, when you're a kid, like everyone's always so concerned about who can beat who up. Right. Like, it's like, Oh, you know, so my dad can beat up your dad. And, and like at the gym, talk about vulnerability man, like I know who can beat me up. And like, you know, it, it's, there's, there's a humbling aspect to that, but there's also a self-confidence in the fact that, 
you know, me and that, me and him, uh, you know, maybe sometimes it might even be me and her, you know, she might be the one beating me up, whoever, whoever uh, her is, um, you know, there's a vulnerability of like, dude, I've been, we were talking about Lauren, Lauren's got me in arm bars, right? And there's a vulnerability of knowing that these people, you know, can beat you up and then peeling back the layers of you, there's no activity where you can get closer to another human being. There's simply not. There's uh, there's no social distancing there. There's your 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 you know cheek to cheek, your stomach to stomach. You know your. It's just it's uh it's a very personal sport, and there's also the act of, you know, at the end of that you're spent. So all of the bullshit going on that happened during your day, or all the bullshit that's going on up here, um, you know, it disappears at least for a moment. Um, and you know, you, you sit out back and you have those conversations with your boys and, and, and the girls and, um, you know, it's, that's what, you know, that's the important thing about life. I mean, it's having conversations is, um, you know, the most enriching thing that we do. Yeah, we don't do it enough. No, no. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it is what we are, right. You know, it, it, as a species, um, there was a lot more sitting around and talking, I think throughout our history which is why we're also drawn to podcasts. It's why it's nice to go for a walk and listen to a podcast. It's nice to be in your car and listen to a podcast. Like you're getting to, in, so you get to sit with people. If you found the right podcast you're listening to, you get to sit with people who are like, are like you in a way that moves you forward and, um, you know, and, and, and helps you figure out your path. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's an amazing tool and, uh, you know, just having a community of jujitsu people is, is, is super valuable. Yeah. No, if you're willing to listen and take in a lot of different, I mean, podcasts, there's so many different viewpoints and data sets that you can take yeah. in. I've learned more in three or four years of podcasting than I could have learned in 10 or 12 years of college, probably 100%. more. It's not, it's 100%. not possible because I, the time that I spent going to college, I didn't finish a, so <laughs> it, it yeah. was kind of already a negative thing, right? Like it's just to your point, you want to accomplish things in life. Yeah. It took me a while, but ultimately when I started to succeed in spite of college, I was able to use that in my story because I kind of looked at that and said, you know what, in spite of making a bad decision and trying to go into something that I probably shouldn't have, I've been able to overcome that. But prior to that, it was, it was a negative, right? And yeah. What do you feel like you, do you feel like, you know, I, I have this feeling too, is that like, do you feel like just sitting around, not sitting around, let's not say just sitting around, like my ideal for like the boys, you know, isn't college anymore. It's like, it's like, Hey, jujitsu costs $2,000 a year. Right. I mean, let's just looking at ROI, right? Jujitsu costs $2,000 a year. There's a certain amount of books that you can read. There's a certain amount of podcasts you can listen to. And if you want to go to school later and you want to make that kind of investment because you want to be an engineer and you need the engineering degree, but you don't need, you know, you know you're, you're on that path and you've decided, um, go then. But like the, the idea that we're putting ourselves that you can get a $100,000 loan at 18, but you can't get a $100,000 loan at 30 for a business. That idea is, 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 is crazy is that, we're putting people in this position where, man, I like, I just, I don't, it's, it's untenable and it's kind of, it's a form of like slavery. Like I, slavery is a strong word. So let's, let's, you know, understand when I say that, you know, everyone listening, like I'm not saying they're the same thing, but you get, you get a, you get this 
debt over you. I remember this one guy I know had a thousand dollars every month he had to pay off. That was that was that's like that's like rent. He had to pay off a rent for a degree, and there he he's sitting, um, you know, every month, and he's got a he. What that also means is that you not you need to go out and you need to take a job, whatever job will do that. And I'll now, one, I'll one better you. Sorry to cut you off. No, but, no, feel free. So I had an advisor. Yeah who advised me to take out more money than I could because I didn't have the ability to work a job because I was playing baseball. So, where'd you play? Where'd you, where'd you go to school too? Uh, University of Pittsburgh and Bradford. So nice. D3, hometown. But yeah. I mean, imagine that, right? They had, I had a, a, an advisor tell me, well, I know you can't work, but you're able to take out more money. Right. Now, you know, fuck the, the fact that you got to pay it back and that the government's going to subsidize it. So, yep. you know, it's all good. You won't ever get out from underneath that money. You're going to pay it. And, yeah. you know, Hey, by the way, you're not really doing well. Um, are you sure college is, <laughs> you sure college is for you? Um, no, it was, it was the opposite. So, you know, when you, you ask that question, I would strongly discourage traditional college experience from yeah. my son and i just had a son he'll be a year well, old here. thank you yeah he'll be a year old here in september i will discourage if he just wants to go away to have the quote-unquote college experience if he doesn't have a plan and it's not going to benefit him because anymore i think you're at no advantage to have a, a watered down bachelor's of science in something um yeah. you know if you're trying to be an engineer and you get an engineering degree, that's probably a really smart idea. If you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, you should probably study those things, but those are very specific pursuits. And you and, better know you want to do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, those are, those are long term things too, you know? Yeah. I spent a lot of time in sales over 12 years and worked my way up. I worked for a company that was acquired by IBM. So I spent time in both startup as well as like big corporate organizations. And I was blown away when I understood that people who had multiple degrees who had done everything that you would think is quote unquote correct through academia, couldn't find their way out of a wet paper bag because they yeah. had no life experience. They had no understanding on how to problem solve and that matters. And when you can doesn't teach you that. Yeah, not at all. Right. So I, I would certainly be open minded. I don't want to come across like a complete idiot. It's not like school and education is bad. But we're also talking about 18 years from now as well. And I don't think yeah. that colleges will be anything in resemblance to what they are. I think there's going to be a huge wake-up call, not only yeah. for America in terms of the economy itself, but colleges. Universities are going to just fall apart. There's, they're already overpriced. And now the demand is going to re reduce significantly. Significantly. Um, and what, significantly. then what happens? You know, what, what then occurs? Um, a lot of these schools are going to disappear. Yeah. And one of the things I, I noticed uh, is that like a bunch of these pro, like a bunch of these athletic programs are getting rid of like Stanford got rid of 11 sports. They already talked about getting rid of 11 sports. Stanford is not some school that doesn't have the money. Right. So I think these are a reflection of like, Hey, like it's time to start buckling down. And one of the, one of the real issues I have with like, kind of like the dialogue about like, you know, student loan forgiveness now and like the public sphere is that I, I, I approve of the principle, but the reality of the situation is who are we getting the money from, right? We're going to have like the taxpayers pay it back, but like 
what the same people who are saying we need loan forgiveness right now are also the people who like, you know, you know, the lifetime politicians, whether they're on the right or the left, who put us in this position where we were giving these federal loans that then made all their friends in academia, you know, money. I mean, how many of these schools kept hiring six figure administrators because they just kept getting this steady stream of money that really the middle class was getting like heavily screwed on where it's like, if you're poor, we'll figure out some sort of financial aid package and scholarship. Maybe, you know, I went, at Rhode Island, there was a talent development program for a lot of kids that um, were smart, but may, you know, may have not had the means to go. And then there's, you know, the, the rich yuppie, you know, kid from, you know, New York or whatever. Um, what I don't, I even forget what yuppie means. It's an old, that's an, young, mean, ur- young urban professional. No, 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 no. Like the, the kid, yeah. Like the kids are the, yeah. You know, like the, the, the kids from like right around New York. Right. <laughs> Yeah. And, um, and, um, so they would, so it was like, and then you got the middle class and the middle class is the one taking out those big loans. And it's, man, it's like, and that's kind of like a a recurring theme we kind of keep seeing is that like, you know, it's tough to be in the middle class in America today. Yeah. I think the biggest misconception is that the economy was doing as well as everybody thought that it was. And it, it wasn't, I think COVID popped a giant balloon that was already about ready to explode. And I think it just made it happen a little quicker. And I yeah. think that's what people aren't going to understand. They're expecting things to get better because COVID's going to get better. But in fact, I suspect it's going to get a lot worse for a lot of people in terms uh, yeah. of inflation, in terms of how we're going to pay back all this money that, you know, I don't know how else you solve the problem. I mean, you shut the world down. I think maybe the first step is don't shut the world down. Yeah, you know, maybe allow people to try to make some sort of income. But when you do, now it's on you. Now it is on your ass to try to like, help keep people afloat and alive, because I think there's just as much damage that could have been done by not extending somebody at least the ability to pay their mortgage. I mean, what's the loss of life in that situation? It's probably a lot more than a cough. That that's yeah, a lot more than a cough. That that was my thing from the jump because being like, you know, having my history of, uh, you know, uh, addiction, right, is that I knew addictions were going to go up. I knew suicides were going to go up. We saw all of these things go up. We see, uh, you know, the data is coming out now, and it's data that you and I could have told people at the outset of March, which was this thing better be as bad as people say it is, or else the cost is going, not better be, but, you know, if you're, if you're, what you're proposing is going to have really large costs. And so, and that's kind of the beef I see, the beef I've had with media is like, is like just a lot of people out there that are working from home that don't understand the cost. Because one thing about being in a jujitsu gym is the diversity of the people yeah. is that, you know, you're going to meet people that have every kind of lifestyle, every kind of background. And so you understand how things are going to start impacting the people within your community. Um, so you, you know, as a journalist, right? Like I don't, I don't consider myself a journalist. I, I consider myself a writer. Right. But like, as the, the location of like being a part of the community that I am, like, I feel like I'm really keyed into what's going on w- with a wide variety of people and how things that are going on right now are really impacting people. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the, my, my community is also, you know, 10th planets nationwide worldwide. So you know, I'm having conversations with people in New York and Oregon and all these other places. And, you know, it's just the, the, I mean, like 
for every for every one percent of um the uh, the unemployment goes up like thirty seven thousand people die or like are are tied to that I saw early on yeah i I mean listen dude I don't want to minimize it at all. There's people who right. have lost people. I, I get it, right? Like it's a it's yeah. a real sickness, but people die all the time. And I just have a real hard time swallowing this pill where yeah. we have all these people who are so I think their hearts are in the right place. I want to they be, are. be I want to be honest. But I think people's intentions for the most part are all in the right place. But like where the fuck have you been on cigarettes? Where like let's just talk about that, right? There's yeah. like literally hundreds of thousands of people that die every year. Now we have a government that told people shut your business down. Sorry, yeah. you might want to kill yourself. Shut your yeah. business down. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. They can do that. They proved that they've did it for six months. They've shut fucking yeah. businesses down. Yeah. But they've allowed cigarettes to be sold year after year in every store on every corner. That's not just affecting people's own decisions. I look, you want to smoke? I believe you should be allowed to smoke. So let's just get that clear. You want to smoke? Smoke. But you want to do anything a, that doesn't hurt anyone, you can yeah, do it. Yeah, but yeah. there's also an argument that cigarette smoking co- can kill a lot of secondhand users as well. And I grew up yeah. in a household where both of my parents smoked. So Me I too. you know what I mean? Like I'm sure I've I've suffered some of that damage. And I yeah, but but my point being, where the fuck have you been? Where where have you all been? You just jumped on board this virus, which I get it. It's hurting people. We all should take steps. But what, where have you been? Where have you been on texting and driving? Because you're probably bitching about a mask right now while you're fucking cruising down the road, texting on your phone, you know, and how many people are killed through like the, the, the logic that is missing from people. That's just overwhelmed. It's like people take every ounce of physical logic that they have, anything, and they throw yeah. it all into this one area. And yeah. I just have to ask, where has it been? Where is it on obesity? Like I said about the, uh, the, uh, the Sports Illustrated. Like, the, you know, it, Sports Illustrated keeps trying, you know, all, all these places, all these media outlets try and tell us, like, being overweight is okay. Being overweight is not being at your optimal. That period. You know, it's okay. Again, wait, still... that, you're going into the nuance right now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah like, right, right, right. Because... Well, this is why I'm excited. I'm, I'm starting to do, uh, you know, we have a lot of people come through our gym, so I'm starting to do podcasts and just hearing you talk and just you said something uh, somewhere in there that was similar to something that I've said. It sounds way nicer in words than it does in type. So yeah. I'm not going to say I'm not part of the problem sometimes too, right? Is that... I like I like being on Twitter. I like I like shooting something off that might be a little you know a little bit cutting you know and things like that. Stir the pot a little bit. Ah, I love stirring the pot, bro. I love stirring the pot. That's what I'm here for. But um, but you know, I mean, it, but that's kind of how guys like you know that's how that's how we talk to each other at the gym. You know, we 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 uh you know two of my best friends from the gym. We've been together for three and a half years. We say the meanest shit to each other, right? Because that's how we know we love each other. Uh, if you can so, see the text strings that my three brothers and I have, it's exactly. brutal, right? But then right, again, right. they're the people that you love the most. Right. So I mean, I might go a little too hard, and, and my nickname is Go Hard. So I mean, that is my that is what I'm. Uh, you know, it's the nickname from the mat, and I think you know it perfectly describes me out in the world, but you know, the conversation aspect and what's exciting to me is uh, I'm going to do 10, 10 PATX uh, chats. I think we're going to call it, but 
we've got this system in place now. We're going to start doing the podcast. We're going to have people come through and our coaches and have these kind of conversations and just getting better at just having an, a space to do that um, and to, you know, hopefully further the dialogue through words, through our voices rather than through typing it because, um, you know, it, it, it does allow us to get to that next level of nuance where it's like one of the things I really want to dig, uh, dig home with people, right, is that like, is that if we did everything that our culture tells us to do, and this is why, you know, what I want people to understand is our culture is broken and people understand it, but they don't internalize it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't really watch Netflix that much anymore. We've been watching older movies with the boys. We watched uh, groundhog day the other week. Um, I'm watching passion. I'm trying, um, I'm, my girlfriend's a little bit bored by it, a uh, passion of the Christ, but I'm trying to watch, like I watched the Patriot with the oldest um, the other week. And it's Great like, movie. Right, right. And it's like, and that was kind of, you know, it was after I got in trouble with my publisher, but it's like, these guys got their houses burned down, they had people murdered. And you're telling me that to stand up for speech and to stand on the what I feel is the right side of an issue and to stand against the mob that is just picking people out and just saying, you disagree, you need to go, you know, and to stand against that, all I have to give up is a book deal with somebody I didn't want to do business with anyway that I didn't trust to have my intentions in the best way anyway. So that's all I got to give up. But you realize when you watch older movies that the messaging of older movies was stronger. And what you also realize about so many people moving toward podcasts is that people are seeking out the truth and they know they're not getting it through the normal places. Because if you watched pop culture and if you, if you listened to the media and you ate what, they, what people told you you're supposed to eat, You'd be overweight because I did it when I was done playing football. I was like, oh, this is a normal American diet. I can just, I can go have a cheeseburger because this is what that triangle we grew up with said. And I made excuses for myself too. And I was like, I still look good. I still look good. And I was like gaining weight and I wasn't healthy and I wasn't feeling good. So I've been there. I've been on that side of, I was up to 200 pounds. Now I'm 165, right? And I've never been in better shape, even when I was playing football, like, cause jujitsu does that to you. And, it, and then it's also like, you're collecting data on every role and you're like, man, I'm not feeling that strong lately. I better uh, uh, push up my, my lifting. I better, I'm, I'm feeling tight. I'm feeling sore. I better do, uh, do more yoga. I better incorporate that in the morning. Uh, my cardio is not that great. I better either up a little bit. You're collecting data. You're bringing it back. You're working on it. And like, you know, that's one of the things I love about jujitsu is that the truth is either you win or you lose. So if you lose, then the truth is you need to do something different, whether that's, and then I, I'm also neglecting what, it, with what I just said, the mental side, right? But like so many people, you know, are being influenced by something that is really poisonous. Like the culture that we have right now is, I mean, we have Hollywood movies that are making sure they don't offend China so that they can go over there and they can make as much money as possible. They make like separate movies like different scenes entirely top gun top gun straight took japan off of his arm or whatever of like the nations that were you know were, were cool yeah. with whatever the allied nations they took japan off the arm to not anger china and it's like the whole point of this american experiment right and what we're supposed to do and what hollywood claimed that you know what hollywood once was about it was about taking our values and bringing them elsewhere and that's what our culture is supposed to be about but what we're seeing is a lot of these people are taking chinese values or or you know communist values or whatever and bringing them here and because 
there's no difference. You know, there is a difference, but philosophically walk with me on this. There's no difference between, you, you know, you're saying uh, communists like Stalin, they'll kill you. They'll put you in the gulag, they'll whatever, they'll, they'll off you, they'll send you away. The, the communists today that we have in our culture will try and take your job from you if you disagree. They will literally, and that's exactly what my situation proved to me, which is exactly, they gave me the soapbox. They made me the, they, I used them the same way Colin Kaepernick used the NFL to prove my point, which was that you're not going to allow alternative speech here. And I don't want to be a part of your game anymore because I've already taken poison. I, w- I was an addict. I've already taken poison. I'm not going to be a, a part of the poison game anymore. I'm not going to sell poison. I'm not going to take poison. I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to live out the truth as much as I can and, uh, you know, I kind of, that's what I, that's what I felt like I was standing up against, which was like, we have this mob in this country. I mean, I had people, I, all I tweeted was, I tweeted I, exactly as we said, I said, I'm sure. What, is it, what is it that you said? I'm sorry. We should have got into that. Okay. Okay. So, <clears throat> so like I first said, um, I saw one guy, uh, this guy I, I follow, he does good work. He does good football work. He, I actually mentioned him in my book. He does good enough work that I, I use, utilize some of the stuff he does for my book and I'm going to leave it in there. I'm not going to take his name out. You know, I have respect for the work he does, but you know, I saw like another video of like, you know, shit going down and it was like, and it was right after 10th planet Long Beach got burned to the ground by protesters and rioters. And I was like, and I I strolled him. I was just like, I was like, Hey, uh, maybe hopefully these were some of the guys that you, you know, if they get arrested, maybe, maybe you can help bail them out. And so then I got in a little tussle with him. My publisher didn't like that. They gave me a call. Like I got called into the public, uh, into the principal's office and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And I I had that same feeling, right. I went through, I I got an email. I went and I deleted the tweets and I was like, Oh man, I I feel like I'm in trouble. Don't worry guys. I deleted them and I'm sorry. And then I realized what the fuck am I doing? Sorry to curse. I'm not sure. But I was like, what am I doing? I was like, what am I doing? I'm going to, I'm an adult. I'm, 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 oh, I'm, I'm 30 now. I'm an adult. You don't like, I don't listen to another adult tell me as an adult what I can say. And so a few days later after talking to them, um, you know, I didn't, they were just like, yeah, just don't, don't tweet, don't tweet directly at people. Don't get into arguments with them. And uh, I got in an argument with someone else a few days later where I was just like, what you're saying is demonstrably false. Here's why. Um, and then he was like, oh, well, you know, this and that, and he was name calling. And I was like, okay, what you're saying is wrong. Um, and here's why. And then, uh, simultaneously, I found an article that pointed out that the Antifa and, and, uh, Antifa New York, and then this Minnesota freedom fund, they had the same lawyers. Right. And I tweeted that out. And then Sean Davis from the Federalist, he sometimes gets retweeted by Trump. He's like a, He's like a big conservative guy. He retweeted that and like 100,000 people saw it because there were like 500 retweets and 500 favorites. So now all of a sudden, uh, my publisher had, uh, had what they saw as a big issue on their hands because now my, DM, my, my DMs were filled with people like, I hope you're eating out of a garbage can next week and uh, you're, you're, you're a racist and you're a this. And it's like, it's like those, those games, when you know who you are, like these names, they don't, they don't work anymore. And that's, that's kind of what you got to, what we all got to learn about the woke mob is that if you're comfortable with yourself, like the game doesn't work. If, if you just don't care, the game doesn't work. If you figure out how to move your career forward on your own without 
without somebody who might be above you being like, oh, you're done. You know, and that's kind of unfortunately where we find ourselves is that if we're going to have these conversations that are on the fringe of what's allowed, which is a continuously smaller space, yeah. um, we're going to have to be independent. But in reality, being a part of the media too is they're the most untrusted group in the country. I mean, every poll that comes out says, you know, 7% of Americans trust Congress, but 6% trust the media, you know, type of, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I don't even know where I would go right now if I wanted real factual information. I think that I don't know if there's a single place that I could trust. I would go to multiple different places. And yeah. I think based on a multitude of what I consider trusted sources, I would make my own opinion. But yeah. I, I think I've seen bullshit come out of every, every place, you know, no every matter. place and everybody. I mean, we're all just trying to figure it out too. Right. I mean, so I'm, I'm sympathetic to yep. some of it. Right. But there seems to be like a systematic level of bullshit um, or maybe a systemic level of bullshit within this, these, uh, these um, institutions now where it's just like, I mean, if, if you, if you listen to something from a mainstream outlet and then just said to yourself, what if I just believe the exact opposite of what they said? A lot of the times you'd be closer to the truth. Like that's a, that's a wild thing to say. But like some percentage of the times, you're kind of closer to the truth. I mean, like NPR put out a headline today that about the guy in Austin who got who tragically got shot, and they these outlets know that people aren't clicking through on Twitter links, right? So Cernovich had like a good, a funny three screenshot thing where he's like, they know you're not going to click through. So here's what they put as the headline, and then here in paragraph three they say, oh, he had an AK-47. The AK-47 part's in the headline. Okay, that should be in the headline, but it's not. It's like a, a driver drives in, shoots a protester, and then that's what's spread and that's what's propagated and that creates more division and less nuance and less truth, which then, you know, puts us, guys like us, in a position where it's like, you know, we can't support the movement where we believe the same things they believe, though. And, and, you're, and you're a bad person because you've been willing to look just a layer deeper and mm -hmm. put some things together. Not that you're against the message that everybody no. wants to be for. It's just, no. a, hey, I'm, I'm doing my own investigation and I'm not just taking anything that comes my way as fact. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's, you know, kind of like to bring it around to like the football stuff is that, you know, I, I, I try to look at things super objective. I mean, super objective. I mean, I, I do my best, right? We all do our best to look at things objectively. Um, and, you know, Part of what I set out to do with football was I, I wanted to I want I wanted to write a book that was just kind of like here's how you build an organization, and I, I set out on that path. I looked at data. I looked at you know how Super Bowl teams spent their money, and now I've had and one thing that I have to thank my publisher for, and I have to thank you know I, I say thank you to my editor. My editor probably had no part in all of this stuff. Katie Moreau was her name. She did a fantastic job. I have a great, uh, you know, I have a great book that I'm going to publish and I'm thankful for, to the publisher. Um, I'll say their name, Triumph Books. I'm thankful they gave me an opportunity and I, and I, to take a nuanced perspective, I appreciate and understand the fact that in the sports world, they felt pressure to not work with me because of other business relationships they had. So like the NFL, they made a business decision based on the views that I have, just like the NFL made business decision based on the views that Colin Kaepernick had. 
And that's fine. That's all well and good. And I understand that. And I appreciate the opportunity they gave me to, to write a second edition of this book because now I've become a better writer. And I really just kind of dug into like, you know, I, I, this, this edition of the book is like kind of like a history of the game through to today. And then I have, you know, the same meat as the first book, which, which was how, here's how you spend money at these positions. And I have a little bit more of an emphasis on analytics and stuff in the beginning, the history of analytics, the history of the game, the minds that shaped the game and innovated the game. And then I talk about spending and then I go on, here's where the game's going into the future. So, and so is, it fair for, is it fair for me to assume that you probably are a guy who thinks that Belichick is more responsible for the Patriots dynasty uh, than Brady? Yeah. I mean, there's some data that uh, actually data from one of the guys I got in an argument with uh, Belichick's put together a roster from like 06 to some time span, right? It was like 06 to 19. Right. And uh, the roster he built around Brady added 77 wins. Like, so there was like an average, like they, they did wins above replacement and they put together all these factors and they figured out um, that the real f big factor about Brady's like lower con lower cost contracts over the last few years the major factor within that is that like Belichick's also put people around Brady that are just phenomenal, like values, right? He, they've for the last three years, they've led the NFL in uh, players making basically under veteran players making under $5 million. So I think last year they may have had 31 or maybe the year before. So that's a 53 man roster. And the reality is, is that you build your roster through the draft and then you hopefully extend those players when they come of age to get extended and um, you, you give them, uh, you know, those are the guys you want to sign. You don't want to sign big money guys outside of, outside of like your core guys. And then you go out and you have the, the, the role players around them that are experienced that are, if you're in the NFL, if you're in your sixth, seventh, eighth year in the NFL, there's a lot of experience behind that. And I kind of look at that the same way I look at a black belt, right? Is that like these guys, like he's not relying on like the undrafted rookie to play special teams for him. He's paying that guy, Matt Slater, $2.5 million a year to, to run on, down on special teams and make plays because special teams has, takes up X percentage of the game snaps, right? And so there's all, all these sorts of ways that he just he spent money. And whether it's safety, linebacker, tight end, he understands the positions where, hey, this guy is, um, you know, this is the position that's being undervalued by the market. Let's invest some money there. And then, you know, we're going to get a big return on that rather than investing money in, say, wide receiver, right? He traditionally hasn't done that. So can, um, I, defensive end. can I argue the opposite for you? Okay. So here, here's – and I think everything you just said is so valid. My argument as to why I still think Brady over Belichick in that scenario is, A, I'll always give a nod to the guy that has to go out and perform. Yes. But more so than that. I think there's other coaches and GMs and combinations of coaches and GMs who can leverage data and could come to the same conclusions that Bill Belichick can come to. Yes. I think that he's still upper echelon, and I don't think that there's a, all across the board everybody's able to do that. I think it is a select few. But my vision of this would be that Tom Brady is a very essential piece for Belichick to execute on all of those things. I think yes. a lot of other coaches and GMs can't execute on those yes. ideas because A, they don't have a quarterback who's unselfish, who would be willing to restructure and constantly, you know, you can, whatever you want to say that he put Belichick in a rough spot, but oh, year after year, there? Tom Brady was somebody who, you know, really did a, 
I think a, a tremendous benefit to that organization by how he handled his contracts. I also think that other guys were willing to take a lot less money to come and play for a guy like Tom, play with a guy like Tom Brady. And so I think when you take all of that in there and you also have a guy in Tom who's willing to take the message of the organization and be the example, not yeah. the middle linebacker, the quarterback embodies Belichick's message, They're which makes it easy for you to have a Chad Ochocinco come in and say, oh, sorry, not you. Oh, Randy Moss, best possible best combination of wide receiver. Sorry, it doesn't matter. And here's why. There's more value in me holding firm to my beliefs because I know I'll never have a quarterback that wavers. He'll always stand behind me. And we're yeah. going to create a culture, which yeah. is, is the missing ingredient that I think right. a, lot of, a lot of really successful teams are missing, right? They don't have that underlying culture, whether it's because guys leave or there's not strong leadership inside the locker room. I think the Steelers are a big, for me, I, being in Pittsburgh, the Steelers are a big example of that. I don't know what the fuck went on, but there's just void of leadership in some way, shape, or form in a lot of layers of that organization. And people might hate me for saying it, but prove me wrong. I mean, that, that place is a, is a dumpster fire at times. But I, I think, like what you're saying. I think Brady gave essentially Belichick that opportunity to do what he does, which is unreal. But I don't think he could do it. No. Yeah, I get it. You, you can do it one year with Matt Castle because the underlying foundation was built. But I think if you had somebody else come in there, um, even Matt Stafford, who I think is unreally, unbelievably talented, unreal tools. But if you brought him in there, I don't think that the Patriots end up where they do, and not because of a lack of talent, but because of just that intangible that Tom Brady brings to the table. It's exactly it, – it's kind of – it ties into all the other stuff we're talking about, right, which is um, part of what's so fascinating to me about the – you know, when I look outside – or not outside, but, you know, I, when I look at the world right now, it feels like there's this huge game going on. Like, all the sports stopped, and we're watching, like, whatever this event that's going on right now is, right? Mm -hmm. And it's making us think about all these things like culture, and it's making us think about, you know, especially over the last two months, we've been thinking a lot about culture. And then to tie into the jiu-jitsu, like – I've been a part of, you know, at the University of Rhode Island, we didn't, we had a really good head coach my freshman year, but then they wanted to keep the staff together. He left to go to the NFL and they wanted to keep the staff together and it just wasn't the same culture. And we didn't have a great culture, but now I'm at a gym that has a great culture and I'm watching us flourish into something more. Like I, I feel like I really believe that we're going to be one of the best MMA gyms in the world, like within, within short order, not a long time. And you know, Brady and Belichick, it's not one or the other. It's both of them because it's like Brady is a Derek Cheater type of person, right? Like I'm a Yankee fan growing up. And one of the things that really drew me around to really enjoying watching the Patriots and really enjoying like the last few years of the Brady Belichick era and really kind of rooting for them is that I've watched what I feel is like the same, just like Cheater. I mean, it's just like, Cheater never does anything wrong. Tom Brady never does anything wrong. Um, they're just good guys. They uh, seem to, whatever, whatever they're doing from a leadership perspective works. And they, they both created cultures within those organizations and expectations. Because the Yankees, when Jeter came along, the Yankees weren't the Yankees that they were when Jeter left. Yeah. So there, it, it had been, you know, I was a huge Yankee fan growing up. So I, my dad would tell me about the 80s were terrible. The early 90s were terrible. Jeter came along and, you know, the rest of those guys, Rivera, Posada, 
and uh, Bernie Williams and, you know, uh, Pettit, right? And, and the culture grew. And it's those core guys like Brady and, and, and Belichick's a piece of that because, you know, with all this cap stuff, I mean, much of what I'm writing about is what did, what did Bill Walsh understand about the game to push it forward? What did Paul Brown do? And then it's like there's a chapter that discusses when the Patriots and Eagles were bought by Robert Kraft and Jeffrey Lurie and how they then built their organizations. And then the Patriots had their results, you know, six Super Bowls. The Eagles just got their first a couple years ago. But, you know, both of these guys, there was a lot to learn from them. And there's, there's more than anything, there's a lot to learn from, uh, from Belichick himself. Um, and so, but the reality, though, is, too, is that without Tom Brady, a lot of this stuff's probably not, I mean, it's, they're not getting six Super Bowls to, without, without being together. They were a perfect marriage. And now Brady's on to something else. Maybe there's some behind-the-scenes stuff that we're not sure about. But, hey, 20, a 20-year 20 relationship uh, in any, in any place is, uh, you know, you made it long enough for the kid to get to college, right? If it's a marriage, right? So, I mean, they had a 20 year marriage and it, it, uh, it, it was a great marriage for if 20 we, years. And if we get to see football, I'm excited to see how this season plays out. Me too. I am excited to see, um, you know, getting, getting to, you know, dig into this, uh, my, my manuscript again, I kind of put it aside for a little bit because I lost, uh, I got the email about the contract being terminated the same day I finished editing the final version for them, which is hilarious. Um, so I kind of put the book aside for a little bit, but now I'm going to come back to it so I can maybe edit it one more time before I release it. And, um, you know, it got me excited again to just, you know, I don't need to watch every football game. Like I used to feel like I did, but Hey, Tampa Bay Buccaneers in prime time, um, the Patriots in prime time, um, seeing what happens with the Ravens and the Chiefs. Um, there's a lot of really good storylines coming this year. Um, you know, the 49ers are a great one as well. They're an organization um, that, uh, that, you know, does things the right way, really, from a cap perspective and stuff. And uh, it's exciting. I'm a, I'm a Bills fan. I grew up a Bills fan. So I, I actually grew up like an You have to hour, be a little excited. Yeah. yeah. An, hour, an hour south of Buffalo, right on the New York State. PA line so okay um and like right in the four-year chunk when Jim Kelly and the Bills went to four Super Bowls in a oh, row yeah. you know I would argue that their partying was a big reason why they didn't win uh at least from the, the folklore in our neck of the woods but maybe that's <laughs> just optimistic thinking but um yeah man I we see Brady twice a year or used to see Brady twice a year I know and it pains me to say it but damn best quarterback that's ever played the game so here's the million dollar question yeah if you if, if you if you had a million dollars of cash sitting right in front of you and you had to tell me we would know the full story about what's going on with these programs with ufos and the government all right or the whole deck of cards with epstein what do you think oh, happens first bro give me epstein give me epstein i want to know I'm telling you, I want to know the whole operation. I hear all the stuff about like the Mossad and he was a part of intelligence. And I heard the stories about, I heard the stories about he, uh, you know, they, someone tried to arrest him at some point or someone tried to look, you know, look into him. And it was like, no, he's above your pay grade. He's intelligence. Um, I want to know, I want to know like what kind of blackmail he had on people and what kind, how he utilized that blackmail to get, get what he wants. Because you I saw the documentary, like, right? I saw about half of it. It was a lot of stuff that I understood and it was way too, yeah, it was way too much focused on um like 
I was in like I was into like deep into the second episode, and they were still talking about these young girls giving him a massage, and I was like, all right, let's move on to like let's talk about like who he was hanging out with or something. Did you see yeah, the whole thing? I did. I I watched all of them, and to me, the thing that that blew my mind more than anything, to your point, like it actually made it more real to me because I think what it did, and maybe this was intentional, they they really crafted it around a handful of very rock solid cases of just straight up sexual assault. I mean, let's call it what it is. He raped yeah. young girls who were coming from West Palm and being recruited by other yeah, girls. Yeah. Well, to, girls that had an incentive, girls that were yeah. not as wealthy. I mean, he went to the, you know, he went to the poor community that right there and he said, yeah. Hey, we've got money for you. Come on over. And then he, and then he played with it. Cause when you're a kid, you can be manipulated. The one girl that brought 18 girls or something like that. Well, yeah. But, and the one girl said, she flat out says that Prince Andrew raped her. hundred percent. A manager. And then the other guys like, I saw Bill Clinton sitting on the front porch. And I mean, there's, I, man, I, what I left with the most though, was where did his money come from? Because they really got into you know, the property in Manhattan, they talked about yep. his ranch in New Mexico, they talked about yeah. his, his condo or his flat in Paris, they talked about his island and the infrastructure, he had full time employees yeah. that were managing his own Wi Fi towers. And yeah. where does that volume of capital come from, without people really truly being able to put their finger on it? Because it's like, Oh, no, he was a he was the money manager to the, the wealthiest of the wealthy. Well, I mean, even, even that doesn't, it doesn't add up to me. No. Like I doesn't, I don't see that. Dude. Uh, like Les Wexner is the big piece. He's the guy I think that's kind of at the head of it. Um, I mean, he just gifted it. That. What was that? It's so funny. You bring that up. I think he's the guy because he's, he's the one who gave, he, he gave Epstein that flat, that flat, that building, the 41 bedroom estate in Manhattan, which, who knows how much that's worth, right? And he gave him that. And then, you know, he had the whole Victoria's Secret thing too, which, you know, I mean, remember remember when we were kids, every girl's going to Victoria's Secret to get stuff. And See, I like didn't the, know I didn't know that. Now, yeah. dude, so wait, yeah, we need to talk offline because there's some things that really fucking freak me out yeah. now. I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so he was recruiting, he was recruiting girls. She was, uh, Ghislaine was recruiting girls. Um, they were going to like, they were going to like schools and like, they were just trying to find, they were trying to find smart girls. The other thing is he's a eugenicist as well. So he wanted to create his own little cult of Epstein children. And here's the other reality that Brett Weinstein, who, who also discussed, um, the idea that this came out of a lab, Kobe came out of a lab, right? The other reality is that Weinstein didn't know Epstein very well. So, but the first time he met him within a couple minutes, he knew this dude was like some old dude who like to hook up with 18, 19 questionable age girls. And so like, cause Epstein would just had this like young girl bouncing on his lap. He just was like bounce, like kind of like showing off like, Hey, I've got this, this young girl who just doesn't know any, I mean, an 18 year old girl with a 55 year old man who's surrounded by the world's elite. I mean, that is a twisted reality. Right. And it's just, um, people knew what Epstein was about, but they didn't care because the reality is these people never thought they were going to get caught. Yeah. Wasn't there a, a painting he had commissioned that hung inside of that mansion Bro. or in the, in the place in, in Manhattan that was Bill Clinton in Monica Lewinsky's dress? 
Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky's dress, which as we, you know, as we can allude to, feels like he's saying like, you're my bitch. You know, yeah. it feels like a, you know, and then he's got George Bush with Jenga towers and a paper airplane. He's got weird art, but I mean, if we want to talk about weird art, no one's got weirder art than the Podestas, right? You ever seen the Podestas art? <laughs> Speaking, that's a whole nother podcast, dog. Uh, like Anderson Cooper, like there's a weird Anderson Cooper art piece. It looks like him as a child and it looks like the, 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 um, the, um, pool in his parents basement and then i see anderson cooper and bill gates on on twitter today and they're talking about like all this stuff about vaccines and the pandemic and they both look kind of flustered and he's like the, all these conspiracies on anderson's like all of these conspiracies online are crazy about you how does it make you feel and well, i then, know well bill gates is just that guy that's been wearing a a button-up cardigan for what how long i mean dude bro you don't you, that guy's a ruthless businessman he ran yeah, yeah, I mean, he was the richest man in the world. He was Bezos before Bezos, and now he's like in khakis and this. He's so soft spoken, and ah, uh, man, I I don't know. It's this re, it's this woke capitalism rebranding. It's just, and that's it's like the most fascinating thing. It's a thing I'm obsessed with right now. Is like figuring out all of these things that are going on, like all of like the woke capitalism and all the narratives and and all the pe all the players. And, oh, uh, all the all the players that are involved and um you know just trying to figure it all out is is the most fascinating part about all this for me well, right now i got an interesting message on my phone while we've been talking and i don't know if it's true or not oh my mom sent it to me so it's probably it's probably not it says, <laughs> it says tom hanks is missing tom hanks is missing yeah i don't know maybe it's not true my mom sent it to me never mind i was like who sent this to me my mom's Deep, deep, deep into it. In a way, I love it. I love dude, it, dude. Dude, I wish my mom was that deep into it. Oh my! She'll call me. She's like, "Hey, are you are you aware of PizzaGate? Do you know what PizzaGate is?" <laughs> I'm like, "Mom, oh god, don't do this to me." But I I see no remnants of like normalcy. So like, yeah. because of that, maybe it is time to figure out a new way. And that's kind of I mean that's why I'm doing this. Like talking right. about using covid in this just shakedown it was like you, okay. you you just you just started this and uh you, you released a you released a quite a few episodes on may 24th right yeah and then yeah. you had been you'd been cataloging them yeah so i my brother and i did a, a podcast in the cannabis space but we did it on site on location in person and when my son was born and we took a little bit of a pause coming into the new year and then covid hit and yeah. he's in la and i'm in pittsburgh and I was flying back and forth every week and it just got to be too much. And so then it became impossible. And yeah. I was like, I, I got to continue to talk. I've got to get my voice yeah. out there. I want to have conversations. I want to learn new things. I want to challenge my ideas. I want to talk to people like you. And um, yeah, I was like, fuck it, let's do this. And it's been a yeah. blast. Yeah, dude. I, um, I think the positive that needs to come out of it, because when COVID was going on before all the riots and stuff like that, when when we were in like april and may i was like i was i was like all right you know what we're gonna get through this and like the lessons we're gonna take out of it and the lessons we're still taking from the riots i was a lot more positive in may then once i saw the george you know obviously we all saw the video we didn't like the video and then when i saw the response to it was super divisive i was like we all did no one liked the video 
No one was okay with that video. Everyone was wrong with that video. And then you see the things, the way things kind of spiraled out of control because I'm on the page you're on too, which is like, I'm hoping that something, the thing that comes out of this is monumental change within our system because our system doesn't serve people. It's not just, it's not like just like Black Lives Matter. It's not just black people. Like, it's like this system doesn't serve anybody. Well, like we, it do we don't teach, sorry to interrupt you. It's so hard no. to Zoom, you know what I mean? But like, don't worry. It's corny to say, but like, we don't, we don't teach civics. Yeah, we don't. We don't like, as a high school kid, my little, like my brother and I, I'm the oldest of four, right? My okay. youngest brother is 10 years younger than I am. So he's 23. And, yeah. And I know for a fact that he wasn't taught the same things that I was taught in school. He didn't, yes. he had to learn all these things on his own. And I'm so thankful that he's maturing into somebody who's very thought, he looks into things. He's, he's yeah. very much a curious individual. And we don't learn that stuff. We don't understand how society is supposed to work. We have all these people that are like, the government should do this or they should pay for that. Or does people understand the government doesn't have money? Yeah. Like yeah, people, yeah. People don't know that though. So like yeah. the thing that bothers me is in a way, how do you fault people for making decisions when they're being, they're basically getting 52 cards and they're all face cards and they're like, Oh, like, okay. Yeah. I can, I can just win in war all the time because I always have a King, a queen or Jack. And then it's like, well, no, that's not real. Those aren't real yeah. cards, you know? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. That's not- the money's not real. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. If we keep doing things the wrong way, like the money doesn't matter. Like what you were saying too earlier about like, about the economy, the economy not being as good as like, you know, Trump, Trump was touting the economy, right? The underlying issue with the economy is that like, we don't make anything here. We're not like, we don't have all the manufacturing. And that's what pissed me off so much about seeing all these corporations with the, you know, all the woke politics that they do is that they left the country, they left all of these workers behind, and then they, they get involved in these, like, you know, these movements, and then they tell people, and, you know, like we said, we, we approve of, like, some kind of, the, the system's not serving people, but the movement itself is, you know, has been inherently divisive, right, and in a lot of ways, and it, it, it's not just the movement, it's the people around the movement. You hear a lot of the rhetoric people are using about like, about just like white people. Like you, you hear it from like professors, you hear it from journalists. It's like, you know, it's, it's not your time to speak, but at the same time, you should be speaking. We just want, we, I think, I think you said it. Yeah, you said it was that it's not that we don't want to, we want to hear our opinion out of your mouth. Yeah, they don't want to hear your opinion. They want to hear no. their opinion come out of your mouth. Yes, yes. And, and, and like, the reality is, is that these corporations left, and they left a lot of people behind. And no one has replaced those jobs, which has then put us in this scenario where we're all trying to get those white collar jobs that are, you know, we're so we're going to college, we're racking up debt, and then we get out. And a whole generation is like, wait, where's the job I was promised? I, I did everything I was supposed to do. Yeah. You know, and it, and I'm hoping for a revolution too of some kind. Um, I'm just hoping it's the revolution that serves all of us. You know, you get one shot at one. Yeah. But you know, if yeah. you look at history, is always tells the tale, man. And yeah, there's a lot of history outside of just you know what's in people's Twitter feeds, and yeah, yeah that yeah. history says that we're about at that point, that inflection point, as a country where this thing tends to happen. And I think to that point, you have to really be firm and, and believe what you believe in. And I think that's where we're in trouble. There's a lot of people that don't know what they believe in. 
They yeah. don't, they're not rooted in anything. They don't, they don't stand for anything. And yeah. whether it's something that I agree with or not, I'd rather see somebody stand for something, but they, they really, I mean, it's just go look at what the headlines were that day and then look at their Facebook page at four o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's how I feel about a lot of people in media. It's just like, everyone's kind of working to position themselves for like the, the job with whoever will hire them. Yeah. It's just like all of these, like I was saying about the football guys, it's like, it's like they're, they're all on this. Like, I don't think the football season should go forward. They, they, they write about football and they like, they don't want, it seems like they don't want the season to happen. Well, didn't so something happen with Drew Brees in that case? I mean, he bro, had to walk back a whole bunch of shit, right? Drew Brees got in trouble for saying that um, I feel he, he had a very nuanced perspective on the flag. He said that flag represents all of us. It he, his problem was he started off with saying, I would never disrespect the flag, which isn't the proper way to start off that, that nuanced perspective because then everyone gets triggered. And I even have a really good friend who was like, man, like, you know, he was just like, I, I – I really used to, you know, I used to fuck with Drew Brees. Now I feel like I can't, but he didn't even hear the whole thing because he got caught up in, in it too. And it's a smart dude. Love the guy, but he got caught up in that too, where it was just like, he, you know, and then you hear the end of it and he's like, and Drew Brees is like, I feel like that flag represents all of us. It represents my grandfather's who fought in world war II. It represents the civil rights leaders who brought us to where we are today. And I think that it represents everything that made us who we are and who we are today. And that's kind of inherently my issue with the Kaepernick, thing is that is that it, it the flag does represent all of us and it does represent all of the sh the way that we're sh striving to move forward as a nation um and while i did hear him you know after the nate boyer thing he he was like he was um you know i don't want to distract from my cause by upsetting people but then he he just kind of as as people didn't like that he kept going with it and um the reality is is that like a lot of the civil rights movements of our time have been about living up to our ideals. The civics class that you talk about is that if you understand the civics of this country and you really like love and cherish the idea that of what we're supposed to be at our highest self as a country, because we have, as a founding document, like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that was a crazy idea. And that's a crazy, it's a super liberal position. It's a crazy liberal position at a time when, People thought kings ruled over people and it made, it made the country now where we're allowed to argue over, you know, the wide variety of civil rights issues that we're allowed to move forward because of speech, because of the same free speech that a lot of people who claim to be of a, you know, a liberal mindset don't want to allow to happen. The exchange of ideas. I mean, the fact that they come after Joe Rogan, I mean, it tells you a lot. It's like they, they come after Jordan Peterson. They come after like guys that I, I've listened to many hours of, and I'm like, that's a good man who's made me a better man, you know? Yeah. I'm so thankful, man. I had a, I had a, a lot of really good social study teachers and I don't know if yeah. it's because I enjoyed those topics. So maybe I had a positive experience with people, but I think the general consensus is there was a couple of people shout, shout out to Mr. Stillman. Like the dude was awesome. He was a civil war buff. I actually should reach out to him and have him on the podcast because He's he's a genius as it when it comes to the, uh, the Civil War in Gettysburg especially, yeah. but being a Pennsylvania guy, I'm sure that that was important to him, right? Yeah, and and yeah. he was always, um, you know, I think he was a pretty progressive guy. He was kind of like a kind of the hippie dude, but he was uh, always somebody who made us think. And he would 
not just teach the curriculum, but he would get into real world scenarios and he would put up like the song of the day. So you'd come yeah. into class and he'd have a song up and then he'd talk about when that song was written and he'd get into what was happening politically at that time. And it made you understand the nuance in life. We get back to the yeah. nuance, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like, he made you understand that, yeah, this is, this is the topic, but this is what was happening. And this was what occurred at Kent state. And this is yeah. why it's important. It wasn't just that there was a shooting and these guys were bad and these guys were good. It was like, Hey, there was also something here. And that's what I, it scares CCR, me. CCR, right? That was yeah. CCR song, right? What yeah. song is that? Um, <sighs> shit. Fuck, we I both know, know it. We both know. know the song. Yeah. I'll text it to you later. Yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah. What I remember. Like, but those things are how I understood about the things that were tainted or stained in our culture of, around yeah. civil rights because yeah. we were allowed to have that dialogue in class. And I don't know, maybe I've just been too far removed and maybe you can't have those types of conversations with today's youth. I don't know. Maybe it's not possible. But I know firsthand that I benefited and at least the views that I have around equality and just the freedom to think and the ability to achieve, those came from people like Mr. Stillman who allowed us to exercise our brains in that 45 minutes that we had with them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they, and, they, and they approach things from a different angle and they just like, you know, I mean, talking about something you're passionate about, like music and like a song and like the civil rights movement and like, you know, I, I've been listening to a lot of classic rock lately because it says something. It's music that says something, and you know the realization that, I, you know, you've got to listen to music that has a positive message, or like, you know, I, I'm trying to do that more because we're programming ourselves with the things that we take in, and like a lot of that classic rock stuff was, you know, stuff that really makes you think. Yeah. Well, but you, you know, know it's even worse, man. I'm sitting here not to get off of that because I'm obviously a big rock fan. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. What, uh, you you play guitar? I do. Yeah. yeah. I feel like yeah. I saw a picture of you playing guitar. Yeah, I play a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not as good as they look, but you're humble. Uh, yeah, I can yeah, play yeah. a little bit. Um, All right, good, good. I'll, I'll put you onto some good music. A buddy of mine uh, just he was in a band that uh, broke up, and now they just relaunched a, a new band that okay. um, I think you would probably dig called The Violent. But um, <laughs> where, where I was it. going with that is so like. I look at a guy like Mr. Stillman. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's teachers that are making impacts today. Right. But yeah, I would almost have to say there's a big void of people like that in education at the public school level because of how teachers are treated, the salaries, all of what goes into being an educator. And it's the same mentality that unfortunately I think we're going to see with police force. When you hear the message of defunding the police, you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to get by re reducing the budget? You're going to get less trained, less yeah. qualified idiots who would rather do that than cut grass at this 100%. point, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's both with uh, education and with the police, right? Is that um, if you increase the salary, you're going to demand a better quality person. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you tell me that I can teach high, something in high school – and I can make $75,000 a year, I might make different decisions when I'm growing up. Yeah. But if you, if the narrative is that, um, you know, if I want to 
teach in a good school district where, you know, like people don't want to like be in bad school districts. Like teachers don't, they, there's a lot of teach across America stuff and like all that. But like you, you want to live with, like I had a, a really good baseball coach, Mr. Hunt, uh, Mickey Hunt. And um, I, we actually just had a retirement party in December for him and, and just seeing him reminded me of a lot of stuff. And it maybe touched off a few things in my mind, which is just like, he was a really good teacher who wanted to live within the district he lived, lived within. And he was able to, what, like the, the place I grew up in uh, right outside New York, like is a nice area. You know, it's a, it's a bit expensive, but him and his wife figured out how to make it work. And he coached teams and he was a standard bearer of his community. And uh, they figured out a way to make it work. And you kind of recognize with, with what he, with the life he lived, like the simplicity of it is the beauty of it, where it's just like every spring he's coaching baseball, every winter he's coaching basketball. He's, he coached all three of his kids in high school. Um, all three of them played baseball in college. Like, um, it's a beautiful life and it's a great way to make a living, but we, you know, to get the kind of quality people, the, to get the Mr. Hunts of the world, we got to keep, you know, we got to hold, we got to have a higher standard of, of, of what we're paying the individuals. Well, and, and, and you don't get a Mr. Hunt or a Mr. Stillman or a fill in the blank, Mrs. Whoever. If yeah. you don't also recognize when you have somebody like that and allow them to be themselves because if you just put them into yeah. a cookie cutter mold it doesn't okay. matter anyways right they've got to have the freedom yeah. to be able to have their students come in and see that written on the border to have those conversations mr hunt mr hunt did it he would tell stories he was a big storyteller he'd start off every school year i had him two years in a row he told the same story but i was psyched to hear it again and it was like his story of why he became a teacher and he had this guy he called charlie and he would always tell stories about charlie and and, and it's just like he was, he was unequivocally himself. And same with Mr. Stillman, yeah. you're saying, is that he played the music that got him talking about life. And you, you bought into it. You bought yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And that's, I don't think people, those are the things, right? It's the little things. You could have the best teacher. He could have the, the greatest degree, understand math. But if when the kids come in and sit down, they don't want to listen to him, it doesn't matter what he, t what he says. It has, yeah. has zero importance. And you, you could do that across anything in life, even jujitsu, right? Like, yeah. I'm sure it's the same. I mean, you guys, I just saw the exciting news, some new instructors, some new head yeah, instructors. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, how are you, you got to have that relationship. You have to have trust in somebody if you're going to listen to them, buy into their message. And how do you do that if you take away individuality yeah. from people? Well, that's exactly like, it brings it back to my situation is that like, is that, I realized like, I'm not trying to be in that cookie cutter mold. I'm not going to have, everyone's not going to be a fan of me. Okay. That's all right. But like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be as respectful as I can. I'm going to be myself. I'm, I'm, you know, the person that I know I am, um, I'm going to try and make that shine through. And the reality is, is that if you're true to that, you'll find your, you'll find the people that want to listen to your message. You'll find the people that want to, you know, read, read a book about, football strategy and then maybe read a book about like the world today and I'm trying to write about like these you know the kinds of things that we become obsessed about I became obsessed about figuring out how an NFL organization is run and now I'm kind of obsessed about figuring out what the hell's going on in the world so where's my angle to figure that out right and it's um you know and that's what I realize is true to myself and what's true to any educator any writer any coach any because each of these coaches we have, 
you know, has their own style. Like the coach that left Curtis Hembroff, he's up in Alaska now. Right. And I spent, I got to spend a lot of time with him and he's like, he's the Eddie, one of Eddie's right-hand men. And, and um, he taught me so much about leadership and he's unequivocally himself. He's not afraid to, he's not afraid to hurt your feelings a little bit. If it's, if it's the necessary, you know, he's very direct. And it taught me a lot about leadership within, you know, here's the way it has to be. And I understand your perspective, but if you're trying to go where we're trying to go as an organization, here's the way it is. And it's not mean. It's not, you know, it's just, you, you got to be confident enough in yourself as a leader to be direct. You have to be confident in yourself enough as an educator to let people in to, you know, this is how I, this is why I'm passionate about history, right? I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about classic rock, like Mr. Stillman, right? Like this is, this is his way of telling you like, Hey, like history is not boring. History is cool. And you know, one of the things that feels restrictive about the media climate is that it's telling you, no, it's not okay to be yourself. You need to be like all of us or else you're going to go over here. And we don't like the people that are over here. We're going to, we're going to put you in this little box with all the other people that don't, all the other broken toys, and we're going to call you names. Well, in in a world of trying, I guess I'm at a loss for words. In a, at a in a world of artificialness. Yeah, yeah, you got to be authentic. That's the one thing we have. Yeah, and yet it's the one thing that the artificial world is telling yeah. us to not be. So why? Yeah. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? Yeah. Why is the world of artificial, artificial intelligence? reality yeah, yeah. artificial lives on social media 100 yeah this fake reality that we all live in is telling us to not embrace the one thing that's truly you right right 100 i mean like what was interesting about my issue with triumph was that like was that you know we started to go through their 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 writer like their editors their past writers things they've said we one editor um was saying that people expect writers to uh, uh sports writers to stick to sports but the very thing that they write about is also you know is, is impacted by everything else outside of sports all their life experience so here they were saying one of their editors is there sitting there saying hey like you know being a sports writer isn't just being about being a sports writer but when it came time for someone to you know i'm a data guy so when i'm looking at all this covid stuff and i'm looking at all the stuff you and i talked about and all the impact of it long long term and and what kind of impact that can have, um, you know, here I am sitting there like, hey, look at all this data. And they hired me to write a book about data and they didn't want to hear me talk about data. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't want to hear me talk about, hey, you know, I approve of the cause and I approve that I believe that, you know, everyone's donating to this cause for good reason, but here's this thing, you know, this isn't, this isn't what it looks like. And then here we are two months later and, you know, riots are still going on in portland so it's like i kind of been proven right in some ways you know yeah this would be my take from that and i can i'll leave you with this Uh, yeah i see that and if anybody's listening to this think what you want but that to me screams opportunity oh yep that's exactly what i saw because when you see a world where the news isn't worried about placating to the public demand you're living in a world where the public doesn't have a voice or the ability to yeah. do anything. So yeah. I see that. I see people, you know, criticizing your publisher going after you be, because to your point, you're, you're realistic. You understand it. 
there's people who pay their salaries that matter more to them than them publishing your book. They're afraid. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what that right. says is that there's opportunity for you to go yeah. direct with this book or yeah. for me with this podcast or yeah. for whoever. And 20, 30 years ago, when there wasn't all of that competition, nobody gave a fuck what you said yeah, yeah, because yeah. they weren't afraid of you. They weren't afraid of you either yeah. beating them or sinking their ship. Well, there, there are other people out there. There's guys like Clay Travis. There's a guy from Barstool Sports, El Prez. There's, yeah. there's, the, there's Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, I mean, is a, is a really shining example for all of us um, of like, you don't have to play the game. And like, if you don't play the game and if you're authentic, people are going to come. Obviously, Joe's a special case, but he, he still serves as a, as a guiding light of like, hey, why are you, who are you listening to? Why are you listening to them? And what I realize is my heroes are the people they're trying to cancel. So if they're trying to cancel me, okay, I'm over here with all the other people that I look up to. And honestly, there's not that many people in, no disrespect, there's not that many people in football media who I'm like, oh, I want to be like him when I grow up. And, and what you said is true, is that there's a major opportunity. So if you're worried about being authentic, and that's one of the things that I'm hoping that my story now uh, gives me, it gave me the experience of like, I, I was talking about it theoretically prior of like, and now I've actually been canceled. Yeah. So now I'm speaking from experience where it's like, it's not, I'm on the other side of it. Not that scary. It's not scary at all because the reality empowering. is it's empowering because it's like, I, I know exactly where I'm going now. I'm not going with all that because like I said, the people, when you stand up for the right thing, in, in the Revolutionary War, it had major consequences. For me, the consequences, I'm going to go continue doing what I was doing. I'm just not tied to any corporation that can tell me what to do, which then inherently is, provides me an opportunity to not follow the rest of the, what everyone else is doing. And what are the benefits of that? Marketing? I mean, do they, is it oh, some no. distribution? Is it like, I would imagine maybe like the electronic distribution and, and I mean I don't know a damn thing about publishing but I would have to imagine you can do a lot of this legwork on your own it may be a little more work yeah. but I'm sure well, I got a, a lot more satisfying yeah I got a mouth on me dude I've got a mouth um you know I, I they gave me a story uh they gave me a purpose uh they gave me something to fight for um because I, I really feel strongly about the idea that um you know we've we're watching it play out on our streets right now what what a generation of kids that only heard one side of an argument and thought that the rest of the the other side of the argument was just like this hurt like we, we spent like you said about your brother you're a 23 year old brother right he he got a whole different learning experience than you did right and we're seeing it play out in the streets we're seeing the anger and we're seeing that our society's failed us in some ways and sports is a unifying thing i played football in college i'm from a wealthier area I played football with kids that were not from wealthy areas, that were from difficult circumstances in Philadelphia, um, in uh, you know, in DC, in New York, and some of those some of those people that I met became my brothers. And same thing at the gym with jujitsu, right? So it's like my life experience has been becoming family and relying on and spending more time with individuals that have a way different background than me, then I spend more time over the last 10, 15 years with like pe people from my teams than I did with my own family. So it's like, the reality is, is that sports is unifying. So to see sports being now utilized for political purposes, 
when the only political purpose that it should serve is that, hey, we're all coming together. We all believe in this thing we're doing together as a country. Um, we appreciate the freedoms granted to us by this country. Um, we know we're not doing it right. Essentially what Drew Brees said, we know we're not doing it right, all the way right, but we're working on it. And, you know, we're, we're trying to be better. And, um, you know, and that got Drew Brees in trouble. So, you know, if it gets me in trouble, fuck it. <laughs> I, I don't have anyone to answer to, dog. <laughs> You're always welcome back on here. So. Bro, hey, when you, when, you come, when you come to Austin, uh, come through and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, do a, we'll do a, you come on 10 PATX radio, I'll come on here. We'll, uh, I love it. We'll, we'll uh, chop it up again. When you, when you uh, yeah, come down here with act team, uh, take action, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're we're relaunching action um, later, hopefully in the next week. So just final touches. We're waiting for a couple of things uh, to get finalized, but we just announced the Rumble Johnson partnership that we have. um, And he's getting back. He's getting back in the cage, right? Sounds like it, man. I don't know. He's. he's, uh, I did a podcast with him. Uh, you'll have to check out. He talks. I'm going to. Yeah. He was. He was pretty open about kind of what was going on, but. I'm excited. If he does decide to get back in there, I'm really excited. I know he's putting in a lot of work right now. So he's looking beefy too, bro. Yeah, he, got, he got big. He's ready for heavyweight, right? He don't, he's not even playing around with no weight cuts anymore. I just saw he posted a video on his, um, he, he made a post uh, where he was talking about his workouts during COVID. And when yeah. he started this quote unquote comeback, I think he said he was like 265. Yeah. And uh, he's down to like 230, which is lower than he was ever when he was fighting at 205 so nice nice yeah so it'll be exciting nice. but this is, uh yeah i'm i'm excited about that right hand he's got scary as one of the scariest that. dudes ever him and him and nganu that's what i want i know man give i me that. give uh, me that ufc i i don't know if he would fight i wonder if he would fight heavyweight right now i really do because i, I was surprised at how much weight he lost quite honestly. So he, 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 he started running. It seems he just like whatever, every dude, a lot of people took, I mean, I heard about baseball players who lost 15 pounds. Once this thing started, everyone was just like, all right, what do I, what can I do? I can do body weight stuff and I can run. Yeah. All right. I guess I'm going to run. Like I'm guess I'm going to run for the first time. I'm going to be the, the guy out there running. And, and a lot of people got their cardio up and it was I mean, all this, it was all this action coffee that he's drinking. Yeah. That's the key, bro. That's the key, the the product placement right there. Yeah. Bam. I'll um actually I need to get I'll I'll make one trip. I'll either have somebody from our distribution center in Austin bring it or I'll okay. send out a box to either you or her, but I'll send over some goodies for you guys to share with the the tenth planet team. Hell yeah, we'll uh we'll post it all over. Good stuff. Yeah, man. you're uh yeah, come come down, come meet the tenth planet family and uh you're always welcome. I appreciate yeah. you having me on. This is a great conversation, man. I, I was Super happy to talk about football, talk about things outside of football, because, you know, it's just, um, you know, there's so much to talk about and hopefully share a perspective that hopefully we both shared a perspective that, you know, people, uh, you know, wanted to hear and makes them feel a little bit better, makes them feel a little bit like less alone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. uh, I I think a lot of people share a lot of what we talked about. So their, their ability to listen. Hey. Got to, got to give it to them, whether they like it, to, like it or not. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thank Where you. Can, um, yeah, definitely. Social media is, um, I know you're at Zach Zach Moore Moore NFL. NFL. 
Yeah, yeah. On Instagram, Twitter, at Zach Moore NFL. Um, and then also you can buy my first book, Caponomics Building Super Bowl Champions is available on Amazon. Um, that's the first edition of Caponomics. And then the second edition will be out somewhere this fall. I am still talking to some publishers, um, but I'm, I'm probably, I'm leaning towards self-publishing. Um, you know, I mean, what better story than I, I got out of a publishing deal. They still had to pay me. And then I got to own the book and got most of the, most of the royalties. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I couldn't ask for more. So, um, you know, I might go that route, but yeah, I'm proud of the first book, but I'm even prouder of the second book. So, uh, we'll get together again and, uh, you know, we'll chop it up and hopefully we'll have this second book out then. Exciting, man. Definitely. Um, I'm going to go back and read. I want to read Caponomics. I didn't get a chance to read it before we did this, but uh, after talking with you, I'm even more intrigued. So thank you for sure, dude. I appreciate, I appreciate you uh, being a supporter. Without a doubt. Keep being you. 